Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex is out for the start of today's show. He had to do a little something with his family, but he will be back at some point today. We're hoping around 1230 or so. Plenty of blues talk, of course, throughout the day. Tanner, me, and Alex will all be on the blues playoff preview show from oh, 6 go. to 730 tonight. We will also be part of the pregame show starting at 730, taking you guys up until puck drop at 830. But we starts today with the Cardinals and it's funny how this works man because if you had just changed the sequence of the games from over the weekend we'd be talking about something very different today but we got to talk about the offense because yesterday Tanner and I were both out at the game and it finally came alive it took a while but then finally in the seventh inning you have a single a double a home run another home run that's what we've been waiting for from this offense you finally get a little bit of power coming into the lineup Tanner, is the lineup actually back, or is this just a one-off? Uh, uh, I might call this just a one-off for right now because I want to see it put together, but I think that's the building block, hopefully, for something against the Kansas City Royals because they've got three games with them, one here coming up in just about an hour or so, and then they've got two in KC. Look, they're not facing good pitching against the Kansas City Royals. Sure, they're going against Zach Greinke. It's it's not the old Zach Greinke. He's still good. He's not an ace anymore. He's been pretty good this year. Okay, okay, he's been good this year. But if the Cardinals can put something together against the Royals and build off this offensive momentum and start, and we start to see a little bit more slug from them, then yeah, I'll start to buy in that this offense is back. For right now, though, I'm going to just say it's a one-off because the offense was pretty quiet yesterday until that seventh inning explosion, which is the reason I have just a little bit of hesitation to say that the offense isn't back just yet. I want to see them put something together against the Kansas City Royals in these three games, and then we'll potentially be talking about it heading into uh, San Francisco. I'm not ready to say it's back. I need to see something sustained before I I start going to that level. I mean, you lost the game on Saturday because your offense could do nothing 
against Merrill Kelly. And Merrill Kelly has been good this year. He is a really solid pitcher. He's having a career start to his year. That guy can't shut you out. That's like when Chris Bassett had the great start against the Cardinals last week. You heard after the game, Ollie Marmol say, listen, he's a really good pitcher, but that guy can't shut us down. I feel the same way about Merrill Kelly. You, you can't lose 2 nothing against that guy. So for that to come the day before the question of, is the offense back? No, it's not back. But it, that looked more like the offense that I was expecting this season. Yeah, there are going to be games where for seven innings, there's just nothing going for the offense. But once this team gets to the bullpen with the matchups they can play coming off of the bench and the guys that they have out there on a day-to-day basis, they should be better. And if you look at the average, they're solid. They're 12th in Major League Baseball right now. They're batting 240 on the season. If you look at on-base percentage, they're middle of the pack, 315 on-base percentage this year. The problem is and has been the slugging percentage. They just haven't slugged at all this year. And the place that I really hone in on is the outfield. You look at Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader looked great yesterday, hit that home run. Those guys have to hit for more power this year. The offense is going to stagnate like this. Yesterday when Harrison Bader hit that home run, it was the first time a Cardinals outfielder had a home run since Tyler O'Neill on opening day here in St. Louis. It's been that long. That just can't happen. We're now 21 games into the season. That's the problem with the offense right now. You got to get those guys going. And once they do, and I believe they will, I do think at worst, you've got a middle of the pack offense. And I think it has the upside to be even better than that. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I think you have at least a middle of the pack offense. If you can get the outfield having their production. I mean, right now, Dylan Carlson is just, he looks lost at the plate. He's been struggling. I think he's 0 for his last 15. Since he came out of that game against the Mets where he played pretty well, and we heard there was a toe issue. Not sure if it's lingering or not, but he's 0 for his last 15. Tyler O'Neill, he's been good, but he's not hitting for the power that you expect. He's been struggling to generate that offensively. And Harrison Bader, that was really the first time we've really seen some pop out of his bat on the season was yesterday. That's the big that's the big point from what you're saying there is that outfield just needs to start slugging for them. And then the production from the shortstop spot's been the other killer for them too. They're not getting much production in ter- from short between Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa. And right now, the only guy that's really slugging for this team, Paul Goldschmidt's been good, but he hasn't been slugging that much, is Nolan Arenado. He's the only guy that's been slugging. And Tommy Edmund. <laughs> Tommy don't, Edmund. don't forget about slugging Tommy Edmund. Tommy Edmund's got three home runs compared to the rest of the line. Everybody else has just one. And then you've got Arnado with six. I think the stat I pulled in the when we were in the office, Arnado's got six home runs, the rest of the team around him, and this includes Tommy Edmund's three, has eight among your regulars. So you can see there's just not a lot of pop coming off these bats for the Cardinals. And that's kind of the system that they've, built in terms of their offense and let's be honest most of major league baseball is that way is it's slug baby slug and when you're not slugging it becomes a lot harder for the cardinals to win they can still win though because they can manufacture runs with their great base running and their stolen bases but it's just a lot tougher to do so so we get a few texts on this six five seven eight oh zero comfort service tax line from the three one four guys the problem is that they're middle of the pack offensively and that should get you right around 500 as a team they have five or six guys batting under 200 right now o'neill has not been good he's batting right around one. 70 he's reverted back to his old ways i guess my question would be this do you believe that that is going to continue because i don't i don't think tyler o'neill is a 178 hitter i don't think Corey dickerson's going to finish the year batting 200 i think he's been trending in the right direction in fact lately dylan carlson is not going to hit 175 for the remainder of this season so if i view it that way i also have to think that it's going to get better here in the not too distant future. Paul Goldschmidt is heating up already. He's batting 285 now with a 360 on base percentage. 
yeah, his slug's lower than I would expect, but we we know this. It, it happens this way every year with Goldie, and then he starts to heat up as the season continues. So I, I know that I'm the guy that everybody's going to say I'm wearing the Redbird glasses every morning. I don't think this offense is bad. I, I In fact, I think it's going to be pretty good, but it just hasn't shown that yet. And Ollie Marmol has said the same thing where he's like, hey, listen, do I think it's going to get better? Yes, I just don't know when. But I know that it is coming. And if you look around Major League Baseball, and I know nobody wants to hear this, but nobody's hitting, man. Nobody. That's why the Cardinals, when you look at the average in the on base percentage, even their slug is is top 20 in Major League Baseball. They haven't hit for power at all, and they're still top 20 in Major League Baseball. Everybody is getting hit with this early on in the season, and I can't explain it. I don't know if it's the ball. I know everybody's talking about the humidors right now. I, I don't know if it was the expanded rosters for the first month of the season, people having bigger pitching staff, so they're able to throw more arms at the problems. I, I can't explain it. Nobody can. But Gabe Lax of USA Today just put this out. MLB's dying baseball has turned the StatCast data on its head. There is a 19-point gulf right now between the actual batting average league-wide, which is 233, and the expected batting average league-wide, which is 255. There is a 64-point gap right now between the actual slugging percentage that teams have and the expected slugging percentage based on the batted ball data. So people are hitting the ball hard. They're hitting the ball at the right launch angles. They have scientifically gone in and basically said, okay, what is the exact way that you want us to hit this baseball? They've done that, and now the baseball has changed. For some reason, it is not reacting the same way that it has in years past. So why is that happening? I don't know. I can't explain it to you, but that is part of what's happening here with the Cardinals, and it's happening league-wide. Yeah, and you, and you can see it, too. And some of these guys, uh, Tyler O'Neill, I think it was, over the weekend, hit a ball that I was like, oh, yeah, he got all of it, and it was caught at the warning track. I mean, you look at his baseball savant page to throw the nerdy numbers at everybody. Look, the if you look at it, there's a lot of blue on the page, but I'm not too concerned about it. I mean, I look at his expected slugging. His expected slugging is 408. I mean, he, he's been hitting the ball decently hard. It's just not flying right now, and the Cardinals have played a lot of games at home, which is a very pitcher-friendly ballpark park and they're still trying to figure out how they're going to get those it's not warmed up they can't get the ball out of the ballpark right now yesterday the ball was carrying though I mean we saw multiple home runs so it is just a baseball league-wide thing I'm not concerned about Tyler O'Neill. I do have some concerns with Dylan Carlson though being just his what is it second full season with the big league club I just can't, they can't seem to pinpoint what's been going wrong with him and he's been struggling at the plate it almost feels like he's pressing now too and if they can't get him going, I mean, he was, what, top five, if not just outside the top five on our 20 most important yep. Cardinals. I mean, he went from batting second for this, or hitting leadoff for this team, excuse me, and now he's all the way back down in that seventh spot, and they just cannot seem to get him going. And he's going to be a critical piece for this offense to get to the point that we're talking about. Just to be even league average, they need Dylan Carlson to start producing, and he just looks lost at the plate. He's not hit a home run yet this season, and that's not what you expect from Dylan Carlson. He's got to get going for this team, and I'm starting to have a little bit of concerns for him. I'm not panicking yet, but I am starting to raise a little bit of red flags. No, I think that's totally reasonable. I I think that's... That's the way you should look at it. Early on in the season, it's not about what are you taking away for the entirety of the season, but it is more about, okay, what what are you watching? What what are what are the things that could become red flags if this continues? We got this from the 314. BK, stop lying to us. You, br- you want to bring up these excuses. No one is hitting. It seems to be excuse. This offense every year has an excuse, though. It's been COVID for the last two years, and now I'm looking at the Brewers. They hit 13 home runs in their five-game winning streak. 
I don't think the Brewers are the example that you want to use of a team that is really slugging the ball right now. The Brewers as a team are batting 218. Their on-base percentage is 290. Both of those are 20 points lower than where the Cardinals are at right now. Their slugging points percentage is 10 points higher than the Cardinals. But if you're looking at OPS, they're basically the same offensively. So, yeah, the Brewers have come out of it a little bit more than the Cardinals have. But that's kind of the team that I would point to as saying, like, yes, the Brewers have 13 home runs in their last five games. The Cardinals are going to do that. That's coming. I don't know when. I don't know who it's going to come against. I don't know who's going to be the guy or the guys that break out for the Cardinals. But that stretch is coming for this team eventually. They're too talented offensively not to. So that's kind of where I'm at on the offense. Is it back? No. But yesterday was a really encouraging sign late in the game for them to be able to come back in that one. Speaking of late in that game. Oh, buddy. Ryan Helsley. He looks like the most unhittable pitcher in baseball right now. And I don't think I'm overstating that. He has a so I don't know how this works, Tanner. If you look at the FIP, so fielding independent pitching, it is basically take the ERA if they had a neutral defense behind them. So not good, not bad defensively. Ryan Helsley's fielding independent pitching is negative 0.75. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't know how you get a negative on your fielding independent pitching. That's how good Ryan Helsley's been this year. He has allowed one walk so far on the season. He has not allowed a single walk, uh, or excuse me, one hit on the season, zero walks. He struck out 16 of the 26 batters that he's faced so far this year. Here's Ollie Marmol on what he's seen from Ryan Helsley, who got the save yesterday. I'm seeing a guy that's pitching. Um, he just happens to pitch at triple digits, and that's a, that's a tough at bat. Uh, we're seeing a guy that's not only throwing. I mean, he's mixing his pitches. He's locating well. I mean, 101 at the bottom of the zone, just painting. I mean, that was, uh, that was impressive to watch. That was, uh, that was a good day. This Cardinals bullpen is really, really good. And Tanner mentioned it before the season, and his T-Bone 3 said they're going to have a top-five bullpen in baseball. And so far this year, that's exactly what they've been. They're sixth right now in Major League Baseball in ERA. They're fifth in average fastball velocity, which a lot of that is due in part to Ryan Helsley, who threw the fastest pitch in the sport so far this year. This guy's unbelievable. And I got to be honest, I did not buy into the hype. I always thought he was slightly overrated based on what the Cardinals would tell you he was going to be and what I actually saw from him. Uh, this is very much real. He looks like one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball right now, especially coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, he's been really impressive. He's got this, He's got that off-speed pitch, too, to throw in there with that 103-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, I don't know how you hit that because if you're going to sit fastball and he throws that slider or curve, whatever it is that's coming in at, like, 90 miles an hour, it's impossible to read and react to it. He has the filthiest stuff in the Cardinals' bullpen, and I don't think I would have even thought to say that coming into the season. I remember, I don't know if it was before the season started or in the first week, Katie Wu said, Ryan Helsley's going to be the guy that I think could be the, I don't know if it was bounce back or the guy that's going to be in the circle of trust. And I went, okay, he was there last year, but it didn't work out that great. He's good with inherited runners. Surely he can't be that much better. And he's exceeded that expectation by a ton. You legitimately have two closers in your bullpen right now with him and Giovanni Gallegos, and that's going to allow them to utilize both those guys where they can go two innings like Helsley did yesterday and allow this bullpen to be even deeper than we think. I think we're going to see that today. I think you'll probably see it's been like six days now since Gio last threw a pitch in a game. 
I think you're going to see today if they've got a situation where it's close late, Gio will give you multiple innings. Uh, and that's the kind of flexibility that you have when Ryan Helsley has a six pitch eighth inning to be able yeah. to come back out once again in the ninth. In 15 minutes, you mentioned Katie Wu. She's going to join the show to give us the latest on what she's seeing from this Cardinals team and what she expects from them today against the Royals. There were also some roster moves earlier today. We'll give you the latest on those with Katie coming up at 1130 and what they could mean for the 40 man spot that is now open on the Cardinals roster. We'll get all of that coming up at 1130, but coming up next, there is one big question that I have going into this blues versus wild series. It's the only thing that gives me pause about picking the blues. I'll tell you what that is coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. might be goaltending. I mean, you know, like, look, uh, Talbot has, and I'll be interested when we get to the rink today to see who starts because Talbot is 13-0-3 in his last 16 games, hasn't lost in regulation since March 1st, but two of his worst games in that stretch were against the Blues, and he's somebody that's lost seven in a row against the Blues and has been just abysmal against them. So do you start Marc-Andre Fleury, who also hasn't beaten the Blues this year and doesn't have the greatest record all time against the Blues as well? Um, my gut says even though that Talbot deserves to start that we're going to show up at the morning skate today and find out that Flurry's in net. Um, Flurry is 9-2 and two, but has been really really erratic in those 11 games. That was Michael Russo on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. If you missed any of it, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app. He basically said there, listen, my biggest question about the Wild is their goaltending situation, and I'm almost the opposite of that. My biggest concern about the Blues going into this series is the Wild's goaltending situation. It has been confirmed. It looks like, according to Michael Russo out on Twitter, uh, at Morning Skate, it is Marc-Andre Fleury that is in the starter's net. So he is expected to get the start tonight against the Blues. By the way, we will have a playoff preview show tonight from 6 to 7.30. That'll be me, Tanner, and Alex all on that. And then the pregame show for Blues versus Wild. Game number one begins at 7.30. Puck drop right here in your home for the Blues at 8.30. Uh, Tanner, my biggest concern about the Blues going into this series because I do think that St. Louis is the better team. I like the the well-roundedness of this team compared to the Wild. My question, though, is what about Marc-Andre Fleury? Like, that guy terrifies me. I have seen him at times win series in and of himself, and we have seen it how many times now where the Blues go into a series, the other team's starting goalie has just an unbelievable performance, and that's all it is. Jonathan, that, that, that's Jonathan all that matters. Quick flashbacks right there. Markstrom in the in the bubble. I mean, you can go back a million different times over the years. The Blues go, uh, go into these series against a hot goalie, and it's over. And that's all it takes. I've got some questions about how Ville Husso is going to respond in the playoffs. I think he'll be good. There's just no way of knowing right now. And I have real concerns for me about how the Blues will be able to attack Marc-Andre Fleury in a playoff series when we know he has been able to raise his game in these series in the past. Yeah, and that, I'm with you totally. That's the concern I have for the St. Louis Blues. It's not It's not on them. It's just the fact of the matter that you're going against a goaltender that has shown in the past he's done this. It might this. even be irrational as a fear. 
true. I mean, we were looking at the office. He's played 160 plus playoff games, and he has a, I think it was a 9-10 save percentage, like 2.5 goals against in the playoffs. I mean, it's absurd the numbers that he puts up in the playoffs when he's the starting goaltender. And we see, we've seen him win a cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He almost carried the Vegas Golden Knights to a Stanley Cup. And honestly, when in the offseason, when he was acquired by the Chicago Blackhawks, my fear was, oh boy, he's a difference maker for him. That ended up being wrong. But the fact that he's still in the division with Minnesota, it scares me to death because of the, what you talked about, seeing multiple times where we've seen the Blues go into the playoffs. And maybe they're not even the favorite in the series, but you feel pretty confident in what they could bring and potentially upset the team. And then they run into a Jonathan Quick or a, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, Crawford for the Chicago Blackhawks, or as you mentioned, Markstrom in the bubble. The reason I feel a little bit better heading into this playoff series is because of the scoring depth that the Blues have. They've never had this before when it comes to playoff hockey, being able to roll out nine guys with 20-plus goals. But again, if Marc-Andre Fleury's on his game, we've seen goaltenders steal series in the past. Remember, Jake Allen stole a series before, and Jake Allen doesn't have the uh, resume that a Marc-Andre Fleury has. So I think it's a legitimate fear to have, and it's the reason that I have concern heading into this series, is Marc-Andre Fleury, not the Wild themselves, legitimately just Marc-Andre Fleury. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, everybody keeps saying the playoffs are different, but the Wild have literally not beaten the Blues in three years. The Blues are 13-0-1 against them. Both Talbot and Flurry have terrible records against the Blues as well. I understand if you are a Blues fan and you are going into this series overwhelmingly confident because of that. I do. I, I think that's a totally reasonable way to view this series. I don't view it that way. I think these teams are remarkably similar. I'm picking the Blues. I think the Blues are going to win this in six games. If it gets to a game seven, I'm a little worried because that arena with that team is going to be a hellscape to be able to get through. But I will be picking the Blues because I think they're just top to bottom the better team. I trust them more. But let's not undersell what the Wild accomplished this year. This is the best points percentage in their franchise's history. If you just look at top to bottom what they accomplished this year, it's the best team that they have had since they moved back to Minnesota. This is a really, really good Minnesota Wild team. And the Blues are also excellent. They're one of the top three teams in franchise history when it comes to their points percentage. If you look at the power play, this might be one of, if not the best, that they've ever had. If you're looking at the penalty kill, they're right up at or near the top of the league in every statistical category there. And at five on five, they've been one of the best uh, goal scoring, goal producing teams in the league. If you want to pick the wild, there are a number of different things that I can point to to say this is why you should be picking them. I can do the exact same thing on the Blues. It depends what matters to you. If you care more about the defensive side of things, you're going to be picking the Wild in this series because on the whole this year, they've just been the better defensive team. They have been better at goal prevention. If you care more about the depth of scoring going into the playoffs, well, then let me show you the St. Louis Blues, who are the exact team that you can point to for that argument. If you want to look at the special teams, if you think that's how this series is going to be won, well, then you're certainly going to be siding on the blue side of things here. I think this is a very similar. Uh, these are two very similar teams when you go into this series. I can understand the argument for both. I like the Blues a little bit better. But if I was to give the argument in favor of the Wild, for me, it starts and ends with Marc-Andre Fleury. You can look there and then we can talk about everything else after that. Yeah, and I agree with you because he, because of his resume, you can look at him and you look at Ville Houston. He's never played in a playoff game and he's got Jordan Bennington behind him, but do you feel comfortable with Jordan Bennington right now if you had to put him in the playoffs? 
I mean, I don't feel that comfortable with Jordan Bennington as the, going into this playoff series still. So I don't have that comfort level with the goaltending. I think Ville Husso is going to be uh, ultimately fine. And to the point of you bringing up the Blues record from the texter, look, throw that out the window. I mean, the last two games show you how even these teams were. They both went to overtime. It's not like the Blues won the last two games and they won handling. And it was like a 4-1, to 5-1 to one victory. And you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, they can easily dominate the Minnesota Wild. No, they both went to overtime and they're basically both coin flip games. And the Blues won them and they weren't historically good at three on three play or overtime hockey. Now it's going to be five on five overtime hockey. Anything can happen in that because it's basically just a normal period. And these teams are so evenly tied together five on five. I truly believe special teams is going to be the thing that decides the series. That's why I lean towards taking the St. Louis Blues. Final thing here, and we'll get to this more coming up at 1145 because I want to get some of our texters thoughts. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. History doesn't matter here. It'll be the Blues in six and they will be beat up by the end of the series. How much do you care about the history here? Whether it be Marc-Andre Fleury, the Blues' recent history, the last two years of losing early in the playoffs. Do you care about any of the playoff history that you lack right now with Ville Husso? How much do you care about that experience over the last couple of years and then wrapping that into uh, Marc-Andre Fleury as well? Want to get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. 65780 is your comfort service text line to get involved. But next, we're going to be joined by Katie Wu live from Bush Stadium as the Cardinals are preparing to take on the Royals later on this afternoon. There are some really interesting quotes from this morning. Ollie Marmol talking about why the Cardinals decided to send down Aaron Brooks. They DFA him and also why they are not doing the same in reverse talking about the guy that's performing down in triple a that isn't getting the call up he explained all of the decisions that happened today we'll ask katie Wu what her insight is to that next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are very happy to go out to Bush Stadium live via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk to our friend and the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is Katie Wu joining us for a weekly hit here on BK and Ferrario. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing today down at the ballpark? BK Tanner coming to you live from some stairwell inside the stadium. So hopefully the aesthetic or the, the sounds are, are good. Um, the, the scene is not this, like the scenery. Not great. Seen a lot of brick walls, but hopefully it sounds okay. It it sounds fantastic, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Uh, Katie, the big news today is the roster uh, shrinking down to 26 men. What can you tell us about what the Cardinals decided there and why they went with the moves that they did? Sure. I mean, the Cardinals, uh, if you haven't heard, optioned uh, Packy Naughton back to AAA Memphis and designated Aaron Brooks for assignment. They also, in an unrelated move to the roster, sent Drew Verhagen on a rehab assignment to Memphis. He could see up to two appearances. They're trying to elongate him back to where he was before he dealt with that minor hip injury around 50, 65 pitches. Um, So whether or not that takes one outing or two, we will see. Um, But when I'm talking to Ollie Marmol this morning, he was very clear and, and refreshingly honest about the decisions that went into optioning someone like Aaron Brooks, or I'm sorry, designating Aaron Brooks for assignment instead of optioning guys that did have options remaining like Cody Whitley, Jake Woodford, Andre Pallante. And he said it just came down to performance. Um, he said, you know, you weigh in the options, of course, because there is, you, you do want to try to hold on to as much talent as possible. You don't necessarily want to risk losing a guy because they do believe that Brooks could be successful here. 
But Ollie said, you know, what kind of message am I sending to the clubhouse uh, or to the guys competing every day if, if options are going to outweigh performance? I think Jake Woodford and the limited times we've seen him and Cody Whitley and Andre Pallante have performed very well. And so for it to come down to performance and for Ollie to be able to go out and say that, I thought was um, refreshingly honest. Katie, I, I would say that's the exact word that would describe the way that Ollie has talked to the media so far this year. Is just it's refreshing. Um, him explaining his decision making process going into the eighth inning with Miles Michaelis. I I appreciated his candidness about it. I didn't think it was all that bad of a decision in the moment, frankly, but I appreciate the fact that he was open and honest about the decision that he decided to make there. And then he's been open about the decision at shortstop. And then now with this, what for you as somebody who does this job and you cover the team day to day what has it been like to hear marmol explain his decision making processes you know i'm glad you phrased it that way because ultimately i don't really think it matters if i agree or disagree with the decisions that are being made by the manager or by the front office or anything but it really helps me from a reporter perspective understand the situations a little bit better when you do have someone who has been as honest as they can who is putting great thought and detail into their answers going outside of his way to explain things because, you know, as, as much as I like to think so, I don't have all of the answers. And there are things that I am wrong about. I'm going to admit that once and never again, so I hope you have that on air forever. Um, but from a reporter's perspective, it really does make things so much easier because you have the ability to kind of understand where he's coming from, where these decisions are coming from, where they're being based out of. And to have the explanation, you know, I'm not here to play gotcha necessarily. If there's a, a decision that leads to, uh, you know, an egregious loss or, or something like that. But I think it's refreshing from, from my standpoint and from the fan standpoint to hear some kind of honesty and some openness and at least an explanation. What I love about baseball is that it's such a complex sport that there's room for so many differing opinions. Um, and what I've really grown to, to kind of take as my belief in, in baseball is I don't necessarily have to agree but if there's an explanation where you can kind of provide insight of where you're coming from, it's much easier to understand. We're talking to Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu and be sure to subscribe over at The Athletic for all of her great work. Now, the inverse of this conversation and the Cardinals deciding to send somebody down because of performance is, do you bring somebody up because of performance? Yeah. And Katie, from what I understand, there was a conversation once again today about Nolan Gorman, who is just tearing the cover off of the ball down in AAA. What did Ollie Marmel have to say about him and the possibility of bringing him up in the not-too-distant future? No, and you know, that's a valid counter-argument to make, and that's why, again, these conversations are so helpful, because if you're going to argue performance, and then you see the maybe lack of performance from your two shortstop options in Paul Young and Mundo Sosa, and you see Tommy Edmond, who, who by the way, is, woke up feeling great, positive about his hips, should be back in the lineup by tomorrow, um, and you see Nolan Gorman tearing the cover off the ball in AAA, well, you kind of start to think, what about the performance there? But, you know, in talking to Ollie this morning and talking to John Mazalock earlier this morning as well, it's not necessarily a knee-jerk reaction they feel like they need to make when they see their top prospects performing the way that Nolan Gorman is offensively. So there's a little bit of a difference there in how they evaluate things at the major league level versus a top prospect that when he comes up is expected to play every day. In a phone call with Mo this morning, he said that when Gorman gets to the major leagues, he expects Gorman to see every at-bat against right-handed pitching. So it's not necessarily when they call up Gorman, and this is not to discredit the guys like Lars Newbar and Brendan Donovan, who are called up and, and sent back down 
accordingly based on fill-in positions in need. When Nolan Gorman is called up, he's expected to stay. He's expected to be a main staple in that lineup, whether it's at the, at the DH or at second base every single day. So the offense, of course, looks great. And if you're evaluating strictly on offense, it can be easy to say, well, Paul DeYoung is slumping and Nolan Gorman's ripping the ball. Why not make the switch? But, of course, it doesn't work that way. The Cardinals, as you know, most Cardinals fans know, their biggest value, their biggest trait is their defense. And now it's kind of weighing at what point is it a big enough sample size for Paul DeYoung to justify maybe moving Tommy Evans to shortstop and bringing up Nolan Gorman? And also, what are you losing defensively in doing that? Because as we all know, Nolan Gorman's only been playing second base for about 18 months. There is a, an adjustment period both offensively and defensively at the major leagues. Is he ready for that defensive, uh, that defensive ability? What do the Cardinals lose defensively in doing that? So there's a lot of weighing parts here where I don't necessarily think it's fair to evaluate just on offensive performance in that regard. And I think that's what's being communicated from the front office and from the manager as well. And Katie, the other thing with the Nolan Gorman conversation is him from the left side could help against right-handed pitching. And I, we're about a month plus into the season, so I like to look at some trends. And offensively, the Cardinals are middle of the pack in average and on base against right-handed pitching, and they're bottom 10 in slugging and OPS. Do you think that's a trend to keep an eye on, or do you think it's just kind of the first month it's still not that warm outside? Is that part of the struggles against right-handed pitching for the Cardinals offense? I think it's a little bit of both. And, you know, I'm not huge on – April reactions, but I do obviously understand that every game is important, right? And you can't just write off a month of the season, or in this case, three weeks based on the the delayed start time, um, because it's early, right? But it is early, and these numbers fluctuate so often because of how little games are played. Remember, this is a 162-game season. We still have five more months of baseball. So, yes, those are trends to keep an eye on. I'm also not discrediting that the offense against right-handed pitching needs to be better, that the power numbers need to be better. But, again, it is early. I usually like to kind of do my first evaluation of all stats around mid-May because you have about six weeks uh, to kind of build trends, see what's developing, see what, needs to, see what kind of concerns are developing there. Um, so to answer your question, Tanner, both. Katie, are you sensing more urgency around Paul DeYoung than we have heard in the past? Because I, I heard the John Mosella quote over the weekend. I think he was talking with Valley Sports Midwest, and he said, hey, eventually you've got to be able to produce. And I've heard Mo talk about DeYoung in the past, and it hasn't sounded quite like that. Are you sensing more urgency there, or is that me reading into something that's not? No, I, I think there's a little bit more urgency, and it's not just from Mo. It's also from Ollie. It's also from Paul himself. I mean, this is a guy that knows – at some point, the excuses stop. And I'm not, I'm not saying what Paul has been through in the past years is an excuse. I think they're very valid. I mean, the, the COVID season in 2020, that was hard for everybody. When you look at 2021, he's playing with a, a broken rib, right? Like, these are all things that really take a place on you performance physically. 2022, he's healthy. He had a great spring. He feels like he's in a great spot. I think the Cardinals will grant him a longer leash just because he's been here and because he has such a clubhouse presence and they want him to be successful. The Cardinals are at their best and they have a slugging Paul DeYoung because I, I really feel like we overlooked Paul DeYoung's defense. I think it's definitely top half or the top half of the league. Um, but there is urgency, right? Because this is a results-based business and we've seen Ollie really emphasize performance and we've seen the front office kind of hint in interviews like, hey, you have, I don't really think there's an X amount of time for Paul DeYoung to figure it out. But it's certainly like they, it's not like years before when they didn't really have a valid option behind him. So, again, I would I would expect to see Paul DeYoung getting most of the starts over the next couple of weeks. And if he turns it on, it's a different conversation. If he doesn't turn it on, we're probably going to be talking about Nolan Gorman a lot. 
The last thing that I've got for Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider of The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Uh, Katie, I've been really impressed by what we've seen so far this year from Andrew Kisner. He looks really comfortable at the plate, and I would say comfortable is the word that I would just, just use to describe him in general, uh, whether that be us talking to him in the clubhouse or the way that he has approached the game. Uh, what have you seen from him this year that looks different to you, if there's anything in particular that uh, stood out? I think it's the confidence, and this is a really good question um, because I think it just kind of ties into what consistent playing time can bring to you. I think with Andrew Kisner, you're seeing someone who's comfortable because he is getting in like multi-game reps. He has seen consistent at-bats. He has seen consistent pitch calling, and he's quite good at those things. He's convicted in, in his talent, and you're seeing more and more confidence. Like I think yesterday, for example, throws a runner caught stealing a first top half of the first and he was pumped up about it. And before, I don't necessarily think it's a guarantee that Kisner gets that guy or even feels comfortable in attempting that throw, right? But that's what you see from someone who is getting consistent reps, who is seeing the field more often. The swings obviously look better. The plate approach looks much better. I think you're just seeing an overall more comfortable Andrew Kisner. And I've said this before with you guys. I don't think when you're looking at his offensive stats from last year, it's a fair indictment on who he is as a player and what he can do. Um, I think you're going to continue seeing more of the Andrew Kisner, the Cardinals play that they have based on how comfortable he is, which of course comes with consistent playing time, which is something he has not had um, as the Adair Molina's backup for pretty much his entire career. So that's one good thing that I think has, has emerged early in April is that the Cardinals do have some depth from Kisner. And um, it's been interesting and, and fun to watch to see his confidence grow as he gets more comfortable with consistent playing time. She's Katie Wu. Find her work over at The Athletic. Hopefully she's okay in that stairwell as there are doors that are slamming just everywhere around her currently. Everywhere. <laughs> I, have, they, I have no idea where a quiet spot in this ballpark is. I don't think it exists, but we'll find out. <laughs> Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the game today. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. You got it. This is Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN for a weekly spot here on BK and Ferrari. Like I said, find her work over at The Athletic. Be sure, sure to subscribe. You'll get all of her work, all of JR's work as well. Uh, Tanner, to her point on Nolan Gorman, I, I want to read this quote from Ollie Marmel earlier today. I want to read this in full for you because I find it really interesting as to how they are viewing uh, the Nolan Gorman situation. So he was asked, of course, about sending Aaron Brooks down. He said, what message does it send to the clubhouse if performance doesn't outweigh having options? If you put out, you stay. If you don't, you go. He's basically saying, hey, listen, if you perform, we're going to have you here. If you don't, you're going to have to go elsewhere because we need the guys that can perform. He was then asked about the opposite of that. And guys that are pushing their way up to the big league club. He specifically is talking, of course, about Nolan Gorman. But I think you could make a similar case about some of the pitchers that have been down there as well who are performing at a really high level right now. He said, quote, we had guys, how'd Bader hit in AAA when he got here? How did that one go? So there's a transition to it that you also have to weigh into any of these decisions. You have to make sure that you're making that move. You've got to weigh all of it. So, no, it's really not a hard message for us to send. I want our guys in AAA to do exactly what Gorman's doing right now. Knock that door down. You have to earn it. And once you get here, you deserve to be here and you will be here. But, yeah, keep knocking. I appreciate Marmel saying that because I do think that sometimes we build these guys up so much based on what they've done down in AAA that when they get here and they have a three for 30 stretch, which is likely whether it be Nolan Gorman or when it was Harrison Bader or Dylan Carlson or whomever is that next big guy. We're like, whoa, is this guy not going to be what we thought he would be? Man, Bobby Witt Jr. struggled mightily to start out the season. 
He was the top prospect in baseball. Julio Rodriguez up in uh, Seattle is also one of the top prospects in baseball. I think it was either yesterday or Saturday hit his first home run of his big league career. He's been up basically all season long. So it's not a guarantee that Nolan Gorman's going to come up and just start hitting the cover off of the ball the way that he does or has so far down in AAA. I think he will be up here sooner rather than later. I think within the next month or so, you're probably going to see Nolan Gorman. But let, let's cool down just a little bit on the temperature of seeing, believing that he needs to be up right now. It's all right if they take another two weeks to figure out what they have right now in their current shortstops before they make a move that it's really hard to undo. Once you make that move, you don't go back to Paul DeYoung. You might break him mentally. It's, it's totally in play. Um, so be prepared for what that move means for the rest of your roster. And I think that's what he's trying to say there. Yeah, and like we, we've heard it from Gary LaRock, who's the director of player development for the St. Louis Cardinals, and we've we've just seen it flat out. You know, when Nolan Gorman made the jump from AA to AAA, there's that learning period even between AA and AAA. It's going to be an even bigger learning period between AAA and the majors because in the major leagues, guys don't miss their spots as much as they do in AAA because they're pretty much developed. And I thought, I think it was Danny Mack said on the broadcast yesterday on the Cardinal game of, you know, usually guys, when they get called up from AAA, the strikeout rate usually potentially doubles. And if you look at Nolan Gorman's strikeout rate right now, I believe it's at 34% on the season. Well, if it's going to double up to 60%, I mean, that's something that you're not going to want to see from him. You want to see him cut down the strikeout rate a little bit. He's going to strike out. He's built as a kind of a strikeout player. If he can cut down on the strikeout percentage a little bit in AAA, and then he gets the call up to the big league level, you're going to feel a little bit more confident in him as long as he's able to have a better bat-to-ball profile instead of such a strikeout candidate. Yeah, I, I think Nolan Gorman's going to be good. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player in the big leagues. But right now he has 30 strikeouts and 78 at-bats. I mean, that's like a 35, 40% strikeout rate in AAA. When he makes contact, it goes really far. But right now he is either a make contact or strikeout guy. And that's that's a really risky profile to bring up to the big league level before you think they're 100% prepared. So uh, that's what they're weighing right now. I think he's going to be up. I think he will be up and he should be up, but uh, th- there's more that goes into these conversations than just, Hey, he's hitting the ball really, ho- really hard, really far. Let's bring him up coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Bob was is a play by play broadcaster for ESP. And he's going to be on the call tonight for blues versus wild. We'll get his thoughts on this series, what he's expecting from the two sides coming up in 15 minutes, but coming up next six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service X sign questions and answers here on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 5780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for quick questions and answers before we talk to Bob Shusen of ESPN. He's on the call tonight for Blues versus the Wild. We'll do that coming up here in about five minutes or so. Uh, let's start out with this one from the 314. Guys, the Cardinals are now 12 and 10. Does that make you feel better about where they're at given how horrible the offense has been this year, this thus far? Yes, because granted, when I look at the offense, it's kind of a little surprising that they're a little bit above 500. Because, 12 and 9, by the way. 
Text line say 12 and 10, but they're 12 and 9. Even better. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I feel I, I like to see that. Above 500, the offense has been struggling. I mean, you look at the lineup they put out on, I think it was Saturday. There were a lot of below 200 average hitters. But they're able to manufacture runs that we've talked about because of their great base stealing and their great base running. And their pitching's just been really good. The rotation's been solid since that first time through the rotation. And the bullpen's going to be top five in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, I feel really good about how they stand right now. I feel great about it. Um, it. It's obviously not what you would want it to be. You would feel better if they didn't lose two to nothing against Arizona and three to one against New York and five to zero against Miami. Like those shutouts are what really are alarming. But yeah, the fact that you're right now 12 and nine going into the second month of the season and you have done so despite the lineup basically got two guys that are hitting above what you expected coming into the year. And then almost everybody else is performing below expectations that is, I mean, if you're looking for a silver lining, it's that. Uh, so that that's kind of where I stand on them. 65780 is the air coverage service. Exxon questions and answers. BK, what's it like covering the Royals in Kansas City compared to being uh, on the Cardinals beat here? Is it about what you expected? I mean, I've been here for a while now, so it's not really surprising anymore. But Welcome I love Louis. covering the Cardinals is great because people care about them every single day. You can talk about the Cardinals in mid-December when nothing is happening and our text line will light up because people are so engaged about the Cardinals. I've always said uh, my upbringing as a Chiefs fan prepared me to be a Cardinals reporter slash analyst because it's the same way in Kansas City with the Chiefs. People just don't care about the Royals most of the time unless they're playing well. Uh, that There's really no comparison here in St. Louis because even when the Blues aren't playing well, people care about them. Uh, the Cardinals are one of a kind, though, when it comes to their fan base. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, when it comes to the Cardinals offensive approach, is there a time when it starts to make more sense to look at the hitting coach and say that he's the problem? Oh, here we go. Oh, boy, here we go. Uh, I'm going to say no. I mean, the, they have the lineup built the way they want for the philosophy under Jeff Albert. So now it's just a matter of the players getting the job done at the plate. I can't point to Jeff Albert and say he's the reason why Paul DeYoung's struggling, Tyler O'Neill's struggling, Dylan Carlson's struggling. Those guys just have to go out and work on it them, work on themselves and figure out what's gone wrong. Uh, we were talking to Paul DeYoung yesterday, and he pointed out, uh, I think it was Jeff Albert, told him there was something with his step. It was his lead foot was coming in too much, and that was something that Paul DeYoung had said during his uh, – post-game interview that was interesting to me so i am not going to point to the hitting coach at, at all and honestly his system is what's going being in the minor leagues and you see what those guys are so i'm not going to point at the hitting coach yeah I'm, i am not there at all i think that there was one point in time last year where there were legitimate questions asked and it came after that tommy edmund quote and when the cardinals stuck with him after that and they stuck with him after the season and fired their manager I think it became very clear they are all in on this approach, right, wrong, or indifferent. They believe in what they're trying to do with Jeff Albert as their hitting coach. In 15 minutes, we'll play a game of in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in that. But coming up next, Bob Shusen is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN. He's going to be on the call for Blues versus Wild. Want to get his thoughts on the early storylines going into this series. How's he feel about the Blues versus the Wild? We'll get to him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Blues and the Wild. 
Wild begin with game one tonight. Puck drop is at 830. We'll have your playoff preview show beginning at six o'clock. We've got an extended pregame here tonight on 101 ESPN six to seven thirty for the playoff preview show. Pregame begins at seven thirty with myself, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And right now we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the play by play broadcaster for ESPN in game number one. He's Bob with shoes and joining us here on the show. Bob, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us today. How you doing, man? I'm great. I'm excited. This this place will be bonkers tonight. Are you out in Minnesota right now uh, for pregame skate? I am watching the Blues as we speak. They're right in front of me. Fantastic. So you've seen now, I, I would imagine, what the Wild had earlier today. Are, are you anticipating we're going to get Marc-Andre Fleury in net for the Wilds and then Ville Husso for the Blues? That, By all indications for both coaches, uh, that seems to be what we're going to get. Uh, Dean Evason basically confirmed Flurry without coming right out and saying it. Um, and look, he's got three Stanley Cups, right? So you're just going with experience there. But I guess in terms of track record between, obviously, Billy Husso and, and Jordan Bennington, Bennington would have the track record. But Billy Husso is in the net in front of us, which is the net that the Blues will defend twice. And he was out first. So, you know, we haven't spoken with, with, uh, with Coach Berube yet, but uh, I think it's going to be Husso. It's interesting because it's it's almost the opposites, right? You've got on one side the guy that has been the playoff performer for 15 years, and on the other end, uh, you had, as you mentioned, Jordan Bennington, who's done it, been there, done that before, and they're going with Ville Husso, who has just flat out been better than him this year. Uh, how do you view that goalie matchup going into this series? Well, I mean, Flurry obviously is probably in this generation that we have now the most accomplished I mean, one of the most accomplished goaltenders that, you know, that, that's out there. Obviously, there are a few on his level. Um, having said that, though, I get going with the hot hand. You know, and, and it's funny, too, because we spoke with Dean Evason earlier. Earlier this year, I also had a conversation with Peter LaViolette, and we had Washington. They have two goaltenders. They've gone back and forth. That There's a variety of ways to approach it. But, you know, a couple of coaches have said, that unlike years past, where you really do want to just have one guy, like Bennington, who played the entire postseason for the Blues in their cup run, teams, it seems, now go to the secondary goaltender more often. Almost sometimes on some teams, a 50-50 split. So do you necessarily want to change what you've done the whole regular season just for the playoffs? And I'll be interested to see how the teams approach it that have had two legitimate goaltenders the whole year. Like, I mean, Dean Evans said, at least we've met him. So he said, look, this is really no BS. We don't know what we're going to do in game two. We know tonight we're going to go with Marc-Andre Fleury. But has Fowler played well enough to play? He absolutely has. So I'm as curious as anyone to see as we follow this series, if we get a set goaltender for each team, or if one of them has a game where they give up three or four, and you would expect that's going to happen against these two teams. They're both so offensively balanced. You know, will we see the guy that doesn't play tonight at some point during the series? I expect we probably will for both. That's interesting. We're talking to Bob with shoes in here on 101 ESPN. Bob, when you look at these two teams, you just kind of go into this series, game number one. Uh, what are the storylines that you find most interesting going into this? The, the one, of course, that I'm selfishly rooting for as a broadcaster who, look, I grew up in New Jersey as a Rangers fan. So to say I could care less who wins this series, I don't care whether Minnesota or St. Louis wins the series. I will be accused on Twitter of both fa- by both fan bases of rooting for the other fan base, 
Uh, but I, I just am hoping for the most competitive series that we can have. And of every first-round series, if you said one is going to go seven games, this would be the one that I would pick to go seven because the teams are, like, delightfully balanced, right? I mean, they're almost mirror images of each other in terms of the scoring balance through the lineup. They both have, like, the star player playing like it. Kaprizov has had an incredible season. Obviously, it's great to see Tarasenko back to being Tarasenko. Um, They both have two capable goaltenders. They both have three or four defensemen that could score. I really, I mean, I, they're like, I, I can't imagine this series doesn't go minimum six. And I'd be surprised if it doesn't go seven. And to, but what else for a broadcaster are you rooting for than that? I'm jealous that we're going to have to give some games over to TNT and TBS <laughs> in this series. I would just like to follow this one all the way through if I could. But when you look at this series, and you mentioned it potentially going seven games, what is the one thing, though, you think that could be a difference maker potentially for the St. Louis Blues? What's the one thing that you think that could potentially give them the edge if it goes to a game seven to win it in Minnesota to head on to the second round? Well, I mean, I think there is, at least for Minnesota, uh, for St. Louis, you know, that question of can they continue with their balanced scoring? Like, if you look at... Um, Minnesota, the Kaprizov-Hartman-Zuccarello line has scored like one out of every three goals they've scored this season. So they are expecting that that line is going to produce. Can that line be somewhat controlled by St. Louis so they don't dominate the series? And then are the Blues going to get from their top three lines even-handed offensive production, which I think they need? Uh, Because you've got 20 goal scorers on all three lines. Technically, I guess, I don't know if you would Say, you know, Barbashev, Shen, Kairou, if they play together, that that is a quote-unquote third line. How many third lines <laughs> in the NHL have at least 24 goals from all three guys? So they're, I think their scoring balance has to be there. Um, and if it's there, then they absolutely can win the series. Uh, ESPN asked us for predictions. I basically flipped a coin and said Minnesota in seven. They've got home ice. There's, I mean, there really is no reason for me to say that. I could just as easily say St. Louis in seven. And I think that's going to make it a great series. We're talking to Bob Wischusen for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. He's on the call for game number one tonight on ESPN. Uh, Bob, one thing that I'm really curious about is how special teams will play into this matchup because the Blues this year have been excellent, both on the power play and on the penalty kill, ranking top 10 on both of those. Uh, In particular, the thing that I'm looking forward to is how does their power play go up against the Minnesota Wilds PK? Because uh, they've been great defensively, Minnesota has, but their penalty kill is actually bottom 10 in the league so far this season. How much of an impact do you anticipate that having on this series? It could have a big impact. Uh, If there was one Achilles heel for Minnesota, it's twofold. A, their special teams is not as good as you would think it would be. I mean, even their power play was middle of the pack. I think they were at 21% ranked 18th or so. And to me, that's surprising when you've got Kaprizov and Zuccarello, um, you know, the the depth of their talent up front. Uh, But the real Achilles heel, as you said, you've got the number two power play, for St. Louis against the number 25 penalty kill. And on top of that, Minnesota takes nearly 11 minutes of penalties on average per game, which is also bottom three in the league. So they don't kill it off at a high percentage. And they also find themselves in the box more than any other playoff team. Certainly I would think. So yeah, if, if this is an odd man series advantage blues, if it's an even man series, if the officials let them play, 
if the whistles go in the pocket, if Minnesota stays disciplined. The Wild this year were about a plus 60 five-on-five, plus 56 to be exact. 207 to 151, they outscored their opponents five-on-five. The Blues outscored their opponents 200 to 170, (laughs) so plus 30. But it's still about a two-to-one advantage for Minnesota when it's five-on-five. So if if Minnesota can keep it a five-on-five series, I think that definitely tilts their way. But if all of a sudden players start to go to the box, well, yeah, I mean, St. Louis has been as good a special teams team both ways as anyone in the league this year. So, you know, that, that element will be something we're, we're definitely going to be keeping our eyes on. We'll get, we'll get you out of here on this one, Bob. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, 31-8-2 this year at home. That's an unbelievable home ice advantage for them. Now, these teams have played three times this year, but none of those games were actually at the Minnesota Wilds arena. How much of an impact do you expect that home ice advantage to have in this one, as that was something these teams were battling for up until the very last day of the regular season? Yeah, and I think you saw that both teams, with who they played the last you know, week of the season, knew that that was important, uh, even more so. Minnesota, since the 16th of March at home, they're 14-1-1. and So they have lost one game in their last 16 at home in regulation. That's why, again, and really no other reason, as balanced as these teams are, I picked Minnesota in seven. Um, I think home ice probably means as little traditionally in the NHL playoffs as home anything means in any other sport. Uh, you know, I mean, the teams get on the rink and, you know, I think they kind of get isolated inside the glass. And once the game starts and they settle in, but for whatever reason, Minnesota has just been superior at home. And so it might make tonight's game one for the blues as important as any team on the road in any series will play a game one. If St. Louis can steal one tonight, and just get this to a home ice advantage for them the rest of this series, they could do this. There's no question. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're, you're 100% right when you bring up Minnesota's home ice advantage. It has been as lopsided as any team in the NHL in the last, say, month and a half. He's Bob in play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN. You'll see him on the call tonight for Blues versus the Wild over on ESPN. Bob, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the game tonight. It's going to be a great one, I think. We'll talk with you again soon. Absolutely. And Blues fans, I am not rooting for Minnesota. (laughs) I promise. And I'll say the same thing on Minnesota radio. I promise I'm not rooting for the Blues. I don't care. You know how this goes, though, Bob. (laughs) I do. Everybody hates the national guy. I totally understand. I'm the Jet Radio guy. Every week I get all these tweets. Hey, I can't wait to listen to you on the radio. I hate those national guys. So, yeah, everybody hates the national broadcaster, and I accept their hatred. Well, Bob, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Take care. That's Bob Shoes and joining us here on 101 ESPN. He's a tremendous play-by-play broadcaster, and he is absolutely right. He's going to get tweets tonight that say something to the effect of, why do you hate the Blues? Or if the Blues are winning, he will get tweets from Minnesota because he's talking about the Blues as they are winning, saying, why do you hate the Minnesota Wild so much? I think his analysis of this game is very real. Like, I, I think these teams are basically even. I have a real concern about Marc-Andre Fleury because it's the playoffs and it's Marc-Andre Bleep and Fleury on the other side of this game. So, yeah, that gives me some pause when I pick the Blues to win in six games. But I totally agree with Bob. The reason why I'm picking them to win in six games is because I think they get one of these first two. 
And if you get one of the first two games, you essentially have stolen home ice advantage in this series. And then you don't have to get to that game seven. If you get to that game seven in Minnesota, I have some real concern about that one. Now, would I pick the blues? Probably because that's what we do here. But it would be really hard to get there just because at that point you're going up there for game seven. And that is going to be a raucous environment in Minnesota. I was listening to uh, Michael Russo earlier today on with the morning show. And he said in the past, he has felt like Minnesota's home ice advantage was non-existent. Said it's the quietest um, sold out arena he's ever been to in the NHL. Consistently, it was that way. Said this year that changed. It was raucous from start to finish because of Kirill Kaprizov, because they have just really bought into this team as a legitimate threat in the Western Conference. So, yeah, I'd, I tend to agree. I think this is pretty much a, uh, a a toss-up going either direction. Yeah, and I'm with you. That's why I have some concerns if this goes to a Game 7. You get a raucous environment. You get potentially Marc-Andre Fleury in that scenario. I found it interesting, you know, he mentioned, does will the Blues 9-20-goal scores, will their depth of scoring kind of dry up. I don't expect that. I expect the depth of scoring to continue to be a factor for the St. Louis Blues. I think that plus the clear advantage they have on the power play when it comes to Minnesota's PK and just the special teams factor, that's why I like St. Louis. I still think it goes to seven. I think they can steal uh, game seven on the road. I think that's the one that they will steal. I could potentially see them losing games one, two, and what would it be five on the road? And then they go into Minnesota and they take game seven. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line from the six three six. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm already nervous about this series after listening to that conversation. Yeah, I, I, this is as excited as I've been about a Blues playoff series since 2019. Just because of the weird COVID situation with everything that thing that took place the last couple of years. Last year, you were going into that series against Colorado, and if we were all honest about the situation, we knew they had no chance in that one, especially once David Perron ended up being out for the series. It just wasn't likely they were going to be able to accomplish anything meaningful. This year's different. This team's good enough to win a Stanley Cup. I don't know if they will, but they're good enough to do it. It's one of the best team, regular season teams in franchise history. And that's saying something for a Blues organization that has a whole heck of a lot of history. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, I've got a question for the text line. When was the last time you felt this comfortable with the Cardinals' backup catcher? I'm going to say it's probably been at least 15 years. We'll get into that conversation at 1230, in or out, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Nothing, huh? Nothing from you? I'm we not, can't do it when Alex is out. I'm not going to try it. That's fair. I, he's going to be back here shortly, and I'm, I know what he's going to say immediately. Don't do that. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex should be back here within the next 30 minutes or so. Had some personal business to attend to. We will, by the way, be with you. If you missed out on our first hour and a half together, I understand. We've got an extra hour and a half coming up tonight. Blues playoff preview show from 6 to 7.30 right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game begins at 7.30. Tanner and I will be sticking around with Alex. So we've got you from 6 to 8.30 all the way up until puck drop tonight. All the Blues coverage you could possibly ask for from 6 to 8.30 right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. But right now, let's get to in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Tanner, in or or out, Jordan Bennington will start at least one game in the first round of the playoffs. I'm going to say out on this. I think Ville Husso, I do think this does, goes seven games, 
I don't think there's a game that you look at and you go, Villa Huso lost us that game. I, and I don't think he has like a blow-up game either where it was against the Vegas Golden Knights in the year where he gave up six. I think those are one-offs. I think he's he may get pulled from a game because of a struggle, but I don't think he's not going to start a game. I, I think Villa Huso is the guy that they're going to ride out in this series. You ready to uh, straddle the fence for a oh, second? Let's hit the fence. Boy. If the Blues win this series, I think Ville Huso will start every game. If they end up losing this series, I think Jordan Bennington will have started at least one. I think they're going to win this series, though. I will go Ville Huso starts every game, so I will say out. I do not believe Jordan Bennington will start. But if they go down like 2-0 early on, it would not surprise me to see Bennington get game three. I think that's fair to say, because I think if you're turning to Bennington, then things have already gone poorly. Yep. And if that's the case, then your goaltending qu- question has become a really big hole for this team. And then that, then I could see them losing. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Nolan Gorman will be on the big league roster by the end of the month. That's interesting. End of the month. Oh, man. So be- let's say before June 1st. I'm going to say I'm in on that. We were talking at the ballpark yesterday. I'm starting to get the sense that they may not even try the Sosa experiment first. I think the way Nolan Gorman is hitting, and uh, we've heard Mo say, you know, he's knocking on the door. He's about to kick the door in. Um, I think if he continues to play the way he's playing, I think the Cardinals will skip over the Sosa experiment and move straight to the, let's try Tommy Edmond at short, and let's try Nolan Gorman at second. Or if Corey Dickerson continues to struggle, maybe they buy more time with DeYoung and Sosa, and they call up Nolan Gorman and have him go against right-handed pitching at that DH spot, but they don't seem, they want to see see him in the field. But I'll, I'll, I'll buy into this. He He's really close, and if he continues to hit this way, I think at some point they're going to call him up in this month. I think they view Sosa the way that I view Lars Newbar. I've always said it's okay to just have a fourth outfielder. That's not a bad thing to have. To have a young, athletic, pretty solid hitting, very reliable, good in the clubhouse guy as your fourth outfielder, that could be really nice. That's a, a valuable commodity in today's game. And I think that's exactly what Lars Newbar is. I think the Cardinals view Edmundo Sosa as a really nice utility infield defender. And they don't think he has the upside that he showed last year as a hitter. I mean, you look, I I laugh at the stat, the idea of him being a guy that has more hit by pitches in his career than he does walks. That is a fun trivia piece, but also it shows you he doesn't walk a lot. His approach at the plate so far this year, he has 12 strikeouts and zero walks. He has done that in 25 at-bats. He's just not a great hitter, and I like him. I think he's a good player. I tend to agree. I think that they are going to go with Edmund at short before they try the Sosa experiment. I'm, I'm reversing my tracks on this after hearing them talk this weekend. So I think I'm in. I say all that to say this. I think I'm in. I think that we will see Nolan Gorman by the end of the month. And I think it will come because they've moved Tommy Edmund to short and they're going to try Gorman at second base. 65780 is the air comfort service text line in or out. Ryan Helsley is the Cardinals save leader by the end of the year. Oh man. I'm a big geo supporter. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say in. I think I'm going to buy into this. I, I think the Cardinals will have Ryan Helsley as a saves leader, but I say that I think you could see potentially a like 2019 or 2119 kind of split because I think they're going to run with two closers as long as Geo continues to pitch well. That way they have more versatility in their bullpen so they can go with whatever matchup they like better. If they, if they like Giovanni Gallegos because he's good against 
left-handed batters because of the nasty slider that he has, and they want to pitch him in the ninth inning for one inning, or if they like what Ryan Helsley has with his fastball, a team that's not good against 103-mile-an-hour fastball, if you can even name a team that's good against that. But um, you bring him in, he go two innings. Gallegos, I would expect to potentially go two innings today. You could see him in the eighth inning. I think they're going to continue to try this versatility with two guys as the closer for a while, but I'll buy into this. I think Ryan Helsley will lead this team in saves. He's your best reliever. I think they're going to use him in the highest leverage spots because he's your best guy. So if that means he's coming in, I think the plan with Helsley has now become what they planned prior to the season to use Gallegos. Like they've almost flipped roles and that might mean that Gallegos finishes with more saves. Like that's a weird way to look at this, but I, I think that with Ollie, he's willing to use his best reliever in the biggest spot of the game. And if that means going up against the heart of the order in the bottom of the seventh, he's going to throw Helsley right there. If that means that the heart of the order is coming up in the ninth, though, and he needs to save it out with Helsley there, he, he will save him for that spot. So I, I'm i going to say out on this because of that. I think that you will end up with Gallegos getting the most saves, but that doesn't mean he's your best reliever. I think Ryan Helsley right now is very clearly your best reliever. He's striking out 17 batters per nine innings. That is absurd. So I, I think that that's what the way that they're going to end up using them. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service guys in or out. Paul Goldschmidt will hit 10 home runs this year in his announcing that he is absolutely back. He just hit one a moment ago in the uh, first inning against the Royals. Wait, how many home runs we say he's going to 10 hit? home runs this month. Oh, this month. I thought you said this year. I was like, I would hope no, so. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, 10 this month. I'm going to say out on that. It's not going to be completely warm yet. Next month is usually the month that you get the Goldie season. So I'll say on that. I think he has a much better productive month in terms of home runs and slugging, but I don't know if he gets up to 10. That's a lot. Yeah, that's that's a wild number. I will say he gets like six this month, six-ish, somewhere around there. I think he heats up. I think this is just the start of what we're going to see the rest of this month. But uh, no, 10, 10 seems a little lofty in terms of the expectations. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into the junk drawer. But next, when was the last time you were this comfortable with the Cardinals backup catcher? Want to hear from you? 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll talk about that coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's seeing more games throughout the week. He's starting to feel comfortable with his timing and swing and overall. So it's, it's not just playing once a week or once every 10 days. He's getting in there more often. And that's building his confidence and allowing him to feel uh, good at the plate and defensively. He's prepared and does his work in uh calls a good game so uh the consistency there has been uh pretty good that was ollie marvel talking about his backup maybe catcher and andrew kisner yesterday andrew kisner's been really impressive so far for the cardinals today is his ninth start on the season out of 22 games so it's it's getting closer to a 50 50 split than any any of us would have anticipated with tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn normally what you see in these spots tanner is this backup catcher you'll see a spike in the era from the cardinals pitchers you'll see him struggle at the plate the cardinals only catcher uh in the last 15 years that had an ops over 700 
was Matt Wieters in 2019. He was at a 702 OPS. Uh, Their backup catchers have basically been journeymen that are coming here at the very back end of their career to potentially chase a ring. Those are the guys that you can attract when Yadier Molina is going to play 120 plus games in any given season. This year's been different. When Yadier Molina has started, the Cardinals are 6-8 and eight with a 3.8 ERA as their pitching staff. When Andrew Kisner starts this year, 6-1 and one with a 2.9 ERA as a pitching staff. Kisner's done a really good job both behind the plate defensively when it comes to throwing out runners and blocking the balls. And also, he seems to be calling a pretty good game so far this year. And then he gets to the plate, and as a hitter, he's shown more upside than any Cardinals backup catcher maybe in the last 20 years. I mean, this is as comfortable as I've felt about a Cardinals quote-unquote backup literally since Yadier Molina has taken over as the Cardinals starting catcher. Yeah, I can't name another catch that I've really felt comfortable with. You hoped Carson Kelly was going to be that guy, but it just never worked out because he wasn't getting constant at-bats, and he's been able to kind of find his stride in Arizona. But, yeah, I can't think of a guy that you felt more comfortable with in terms of their defensive capabilities, handling the pitching staff, and also being productive at the plate than what we've seen from Andrew Kisner so far this season I've always thought his back could play because he's always produced in the minor leagues it was just a matter of can he get consistent at bats now that he's starting to see that what you're talking about in that split you're starting to see the reward of his back can actually play but I think we saw with the pitching staff is the number one thing for me because of how well Yachty handles it I think you started to see a little bit of that last year because let's not forget of how bad Carlos Martinez was last season in his starts with the Cardinals, he actually had a really good ERA when Andrew Kisner was his catcher. And he kind of became his personal catcher before his season ended. And now it looks like, the Cardinals haven't said this, but it looks like they've basically designated Jordan Hicks is designated catcher as Andrew Kisner's. Because I don't believe Yachty's caught a game that Jordan Hicks has started, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I'm glad to see him handling the pitching staff and the way he's been able to do it. And you just hear them talk about it as well. We were in the locker room yesterday, and Jordan Hicks was raving about the game that Andrew Kisner was calling for him yesterday and just having the confidence to ask him, hey, I'm working on a new pitch. How How's it looking back there? And Kisner's able to give him the response and help him out throughout the inning. So I've been really impressed with what we've seen with Andrew Kisner. And to your question, who's the last Cardinals backup catcher you've trusted? I can't remember one in my lifetime behind Yadier Molina that I've had more faith in than what I've seen out of Andrew Kisner so far. I think Kisner so far this year has been pretty clearly your best catcher. Now, again, that doesn't mean that it's going to continue that way. Yadier Molina very well may give you the best opportunity behind the plate going into the playoffs. Like by midseason, maybe he's played himself into game shape and he's back to being the Yadier Molina of old. But right now, I mean, at the plate, it's a no contest. Andrew Kisner has been really good for you offensively so far this year. And behind the plate at best, it's been uh, maybe a draw. I mean, they, they look pretty similar back there. Yadier Molina can still throw out a guy at second as well as anybody in the sport. But defensively blocking the ball, he's certainly taken a step back. I think he would tell you that this year. And Andrew Kisner has been really good in that area. I think calling the game, Yadier's still excellent. I mean, you can't get a whole lot better than him. But I, I don't feel like there's a massive drop-off the way that I normally do going into any regular season. And the reason why I wanted to ask you about this today is just because I think for years now we've been talking about, and the Cardinals have openly talked about, Yvonne Herrera being the heir apparent to Yadier Molina. I don't know if I feel that way right now. Now, it might be, but as of today, with the way that Andrew Kisner is performing, it should not shock anybody if he's your starting catcher going into next season. Maybe Von Herrera filters through, and it could even be a 50-50 split between the two of them, but if Kisner has developed the way that everybody on the team seems to be indicating as a game caller and defensively, 
then what are you trying to move on from him for? Because if on Herrera is not hitting down at AAA, and he seems to be pretty good defensively, but if I've got more offensive upside in Kisner, I'll just stick with him back there. Yeah, I, I'm with you because I think Andrew Kisner is going to – I feel confident with him being the guy next year when Yachty retires. I Von Herrera has struggled at the plate offensively throughout his time in the minor leagues. He he just seems to – when he was in, I believe it was Springfield last year. Yeah, he only hit 231 in Springfield last season. And he's doing a little bit better offensively right now in, in Memphis, but he's good enough defensively. But I, I think if you have a guy that can provide solid defense, which I think Andrew Kisner is, I don't think he's elite defensively. I think he's a solid uh, defensive catcher, and I, I think he's going to improve on that as he uh, – as he goes along here in St. Louis. But if he continues to provide something at the plate for an offense that is has had its struggles, you know, I, I think you look at him and you go, yeah, he's our guy. If you can have an offensive-minded catcher, I mean, look at how many teams do that right now in the National League. I mean, Look you, at the Dodgers. The Dodgers was they the one I was going to go to. have a DH who happens to be playing catcher right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so a lot of these good teams, JT Relamuto, the Philadelphia Phillies, another good example. These teams like to have these catchers that are good defensively. Some are elite, but they want them to provide something offensively. And it's just not the way it was when Yachty came up. When Yachty came up, remember, it was basically, yeah, we're going to throw you in the lineup, but we really don't care if you hit anything. James we just want McCann. You to the, the Mets key. paid him to be a, an offensive catcher. producer. Or Yeah, sorry, offensive producer. Yachty, is, when he came up was a defensive guy first and then he developed as a hitter now you look at it and you go okay if we can have a guy that can hit at the plate he's not he may not be great but he's going to be solid for us and he provides solid defense for you yeah i think that's the answer and everything you hear about avon herrera is they rave about his defense I, i've never really heard them rave about his bat the dude is built though like a tank so i mean he could hit <laughs> some hit, have some power for them if they wanted to i also need to give a lot of credit to ali marmal for the way that he's gone about this like he said before the season we are going to split the playing time between those two guys more than we have in the past. And I have heard that. You have heard that, Tanner. Our listeners right now have heard that every season for a decade. And it always ends up being the same thing. By this time in the season, Yachty's starting every day. And even if it looks like he's tired back there at times, the manager says, ah, Yachty said he's fine. So we're going to keep putting him back out there until he says otherwise. Hasn't been that way so far this year. And I think some of that is a credit to, uh, to Yadier Molina as well. He knows where he's at right now physically. And so they've decided to go about it this way. And credit to Andrew Kisner for making the best of his opportunity. He's gotten more starts. And as a result, he's getting more playing time because he continues to produce this way. So I wanted to take a second here to talk about Ali Marmol because we are now a, a month into his tenure as the Cardinals manager. I think the number one thing that has changed from where we were with Mike Schiltz to where we are now with Ollie Marmol is nothing that you see necessarily with the lineup. I think the lineup's pretty similar to what it would have been with Schilt. Bullpen usage, I, I think he's leaned on his big arms, quote-unquote, less than Schilt would this, to, to this point in the season. But I think for a lot of fans, if you're watching casually, you probably haven't noticed a massive change from what it has been in the past the biggest thing is the way that he describes his decisions. It's the way that he talks to you, the fan, through the media. And here is what Ali Marmol had to say. This was Saturday, right? After the decision to leave uh, Miles Michaelis in the game for the eighth inning. He had been really good, shut out that up to that point, 0-0 game going into the eighth. And then the Cardinals gave up two home runs with Miles Michaelis out there. Yeah, that's what gave him the opportunity to go into the eighth. Miles did his job. I didn't do mine. Um... He was really good through seven. He was at 91 pitches. We've got a pretty damn good bullpen. Should have gone to it. That is not something you would have heard a year ago. 
That is not something you would have heard from uh, Mike Matheny either. You may have heard the next day TLR say something like that. He was more than open to the criticism of him as long as there was a good explanation as to why people were critical of him and he would explain his processes as a result. This is the biggest difference. Ollie has been open and honest about his process. And he said um, to this is to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the biggest difference from the gig that I had last year when he was the bench coach to what he is this year is handling the media. He said, quote, if I'm being honest, I've actually enjoyed that part of it. I've enjoyed explaining things to the fans. Accountability is a big part of this. If I mess something up, I've got zero problems in saying that wasn't the right play. So having the conversations and fielding those questions, I actually look forward to that. I really do. There are certain things you can't get into, but as long as you're honest and consistent, that's really all you can do, end quote. Again, that's Ollie Marmol to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on what the difference is with his job this year. I think he's been pretty good at that so far. Um, I remember there was a game where I thought they should have pinch hit for Albert Pujols against a right-handed pitcher, and he brought up the numbers immediately as to why they went that route. There was another one where they were going the with the Mets splits oh, against Votto. Um, and he talked about the sinker ballers against uh, Joey Votto immediately had those numbers offhand. It's like, okay, well, yeah, then that, that was probably the right call there. And, and I remember the Mets game on Monday, the game in which Gio doesn't cover the bag at first base. We asked him, you know, I, I can't remember who it was that was on first base. Why do you not pinch run for him at first, but you do it when he gets to second base? And he had the full layout of, yeah, here's X and Y, and here's why we decided to do it, because we think this scenario is going to play out better yep. for us. He's done a really good job in terms of explaining everything to the media, and, and I really appreciate that rather than, than what you got from Mike Schilt last year, where it was basically, oh, well, we felt pretty good about Miles Michaels going back out there. I, I agree. I don't think he made the wrong decision. He struck out the last four batters, but it ends up coming to bite him. Bite him and he he's not going to point the finger at Miles and say, Miles just didn't get the job done. No, it was me. We have a great bullpen. I didn't go to it. I, I decided to play uh, my gut feeling, and my gut was wrong, and, and you love to see that. And I appreciated that he would be open and honest about it. I agree with you. I didn't think it was the wrong decision to go to him to start the inning. I thought it was wrong to stick with him after the first home run. That's when you've got to go to the bullpen there, and he decided not to. But you're right. He struck out the side in the last inning. He had been excellent so far through seven innings. He, he was on the longest scoreless streak of any major league pitcher this season. He had been awesome. So he had earned the right, quote-unquote, to go back out there. I do think that when you talk the way that Ollie has about his bullpen and about how he wants to utilize those guys, probably was right to go to them after that first home run was hit. But he's open honest about it. That's all I can ask for. Uh, just explain why you're doing the things that you're doing, uh, and I can I can decide if I agree or, or not with that thought process. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals are showing their first signs of urgency with Paul DeYoung. We'll get to that unless Alex is here, in which case we'll start talking about the Blues. So it depends on if he's here yet or not, coming up in about uh, 15 minutes or so. The Junk Drawer is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Officially in, and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer today. Guys, I've got another reason why you should avoid the beach at all costs. Oh, boy. When you go you to the beach, the... you stay at the pool. 
Stay at your hotel pool. Alex, could you take a look at this picture for me for just a moment? And you try to describe what you're looking at here. Uh, that is a armless raggedy looking baby doll that has possessed eyes and what looks like a cigarette hole right in the forehead. Yep. And he washed ashore. That is some cold baby doll right there. Uh, on the beach down in Texas. Now, he's not alone. According to researchers, there this year alone has been more than 30 baby dolls that look like that one that you just saw, Alex. Terrifying. That have washed ashore on the beach in Texas. According to researchers. <laughs> Or advanced analytics for the amount of baby dolls that are washing up on shore. They are selling the these baby dolls on the internet. One of them of was they they on, Hold on. The, the raggedy ass looking baby dolls that come up on shore with burnt cigarette uh-huh. holes in the forehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, okay, we're, yeah, we're selling them. they're getting some proceeds. One of them was a, uh, a particular style of doll. I'll let you use your imagination as to what this probably was. Blow up doll. For $35, it went. The proceeds were donated to a sea turtle rescue program because, of oh, course, they good. were. Appreciate them doing some good with this money. One of the sea turtles abused those dolls. Alex, where the hell are these coming from? This is on a 40-mile stretch of beach where they have found more than 30 of these baby dolls that are washing ashore over the last year. All I can say is that somebody somewhere around that ocean front, seafront, wherever that is, has a bag full of baby dolls that they decide to boat all the way out into the middle of it and figure, nah, let's just dump these. Yeah, there's no other there's it's, no other explanation. It's like a message in a bottle, only the message is this baby doll will haunt your dreams. Quote, there is some fear that these baby dolls could be haunted. Oh, he no sells ish. them annually at a fundraising auction. Oh, Quote, good. there are a lot of nightmares out there in that water, he said. What? Again, <laughs> this guy, this guy's got a lot of issues. This is oh, why like that blink when the I go to the beach, <laughs> I do here, man. not like go Charles on Manson. to the sand or into the water. It's totally unnecessary. Speaking of haunted, BK, how's the house going? Dude, it happened again. I, 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 I have a baby doll that we don't know yeah, about. Yeah, I was going to say, are you so, picking up some of these baby dolls? For any of you that were not listening last week during the junk drawer, I got home one night, and I've got the ring light that I use uh, whenever I'm doing a podcast that's on video because it lights up the room a little better. And I keep it off at all times. We got home one night, and the only light in the entire house that was on was the ring light in my office. I didn't turn it on. Kara didn't turn it on. There was nobody home at the time other than our dog that is seven pounds, and she can't reach the top of my desk where it's sitting. So we don't know how or why it turned on. This was like, what, Tuesday night, something like that? It happened again on Friday night. I unplugged it. We haven't had any issues with it since. You got to go burn that thing, man. I'm fully prepared to throw that thing in the trash. You you shouldn't be unplugging it because we want to get down to the answer of it. And we'll never know if you just unplug it. Well, we will know if it is haunted. I think you need to burn it. It'll turn on despite being unplugged. (laughs) If it is truly haunted, it will turn on once again. That's a good point. Boy, I really hope Kara messes with you and plugs it in. See, I I hope Kara looks at this as like, this is a a rare opportunity that I don't know when I'm going to get this again. So but she I just would needs see to start if it's plugged in and I would know it's her messing with me. And she could like download an app or something on her phone that like turns that ring light on when she's driving home with you and she's like, wow, I'm going to make this guy ish himself. Wait, wait, is there an app for Oh, there, there's got to be. If no. there is, then there's yeah, I know be. what happened. It's probably my neighbors. The same ones that stole the, uh, the patio, patio furniture, furniture chairs. Yeah, let me know when you want to do a BK and Ferrario ghost adventures thing because, you know, I mean, 
I won't charge you as much. Friend discount, two fifty an hour. Same. Somebody's on the text line six five seven eight zero. BK, your story has some flaws to it. Last week your dog was nine pounds. Now it's seven. Oh, now I mean, we're really touche. getting to the now. Now we know where details. this is going to. Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Ryan Carter. He's the TV analyst for the Minnesota Wild. Alex, I'll let you have dealer's choice here. Do you want to talk about the Blues or the Cardinals coming up next? Cardinals. Cardinals. Guys, it's playoff hockey, Cardinals. baby. The playoffs are here. It's Blues. We'll talk about Marco Scandella not oh. being in the lineup tonight. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kiley. So it looks like the Blues are going to be without Marco Scandella tonight. Raise your hand if you would have been concerned by that comment six weeks ago. Uh, not me, but now I kind of am. Is that a fair? <laughs> is that a fair way to look at it? Uh, yeah. Were you I, surprised by this, Alex? I, I was, especially after Craig Berube said yesterday that he expected he and Braden Shen to be available, but. In all reality, I mean, he did go knee to knee with somebody in front of the net, and those are always dangerous injuries. I so, remember listening to Joey post game, and he was like, "Listen, these are the ones that you get really worried about." Is something like this? I mean, even Marcus Foligno on the Minnesota side, he's playing tonight, but he took a nastier knee to knee that they thought could have been an ACL problem. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that he is skating tells me that he'll be available at some point. Like, it's not like it's all of a sudden going to be well, he's out for the rest of the series. But I would imagine what Craig Berube wants is he wants a tone setter, and if somebody feels like they can't give it their all he's going to say we'll take a seat because this is a seven game series this isn't a one game series so it makes sense that he's telling Marco to stand back and roll in Mar- um, Nico Mikola how do you feel about Mikola going into a series like this because I, I it's so strange you you may you said the exact right thing would you have been concerned about this six weeks ago for with Marco Scandella for all of us the answer would have been no you would have been like okay well they've got somebody else that can come in and fill that role maybe even better than Scandella had been but Marco had been playing really well of late. Yeah. He looked like the player that he was when they acquired him uh, a couple of years ago when they decided to resign him. And now you're going to be without that, at least for game one. We'll see, as you said, later on in this series. But do you feel confident about Nico Mikula going into this one? I, I don't know if I feel confident, but I'm not concerned, if that makes sense. I mean, look, if I had my options, I would love to have Marco Scandella playing in this one tonight. But if my if my two options going into this game were Nico Mikula and Callie Rosen, no disrespect to Rosen, but I want Mikula in there. because Physicality? Physicality, and he's big. And I think that's going to be the main thing, what Craig Berube's wanting to see and it's kind of a telling sign because Callie Rosen played a majority of the games down the stretch when Scandella and Bortuzzo and Krug weren't available and now they go to Nico Mikola in this circumstance and look it's not like Mikola's jumping in to play top minutes with Colton Pareko I fully expect him to be playing with Robert Bortuzzo he was today. and I expect him to probably playing somewhere between 13 and 15 minutes I think maybe even less I, could be, but I think, I think they'll like use him. It could be, but I think you'll use him on the penalty kill a lot if there is a lot of penalty kill because that's where he's really good. And the one thing that I know Craig Berube likes about Nico Mikola is his aggressiveness. But the problem, and where I would not say I'm concerned, BK, but the problem that I'm going to be focusing in on heavily is the discipline because you don't want Nico Mikola to to get things out of control or fall into their issues of trying to 
make you take a penalty post whistle. That's what you don't want Nico Mikla to do. And on the season in 70 games, you had 18 penalty minutes for Marco Scandella. Yeah. And now you go over to meet Nico Mikola, and we know at times this year he had an issue with taking penalties in the worst possible moments. So uh, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. I I understand the decision to go with him. I actually thought Callie Rosen had played pretty well, so I would have understood if you went there in this one. But I, I think you're right. I'm guessing it's the physicality. They, they wanted to add that physical element to the back end of their blue line. And on that third pair, I think you could see Letty, Pareko, Krug, and Falk eat up the vast majority of the minutes at five on five mm-hmm. tonight. So you're playing him basically for penalty kill, and you play Mikola and Bortuzzo essentially as a fourth line defensively. Where if you feel like, hey, we need a little bit of a jolt here physically or from physicality, those are the guys that you send onto the ice. I bet you in the third period, if this is close late, you don't see a whole lot of Mikola or Bortuzzo, right, yeah. wrong, or indifferent. I, I would agree with that. Uh, maybe Bortuzzo late because he'll block shots, but not so much Nico Mikola. I, I'm I'm looking at this solely off of, of matchups, according to Craig Berube, and the biggest thing Nico Mikola is going to be doing is he's going to be keeping an eye on the Felinos, the Greenways, the Erickson X, the big bodies that are going to go park themselves right in front of the net. That's yeah. what Nico Mikola's sole responsibility is going to be now he might not be out there against that greenway line because i would imagine thomas's line is going to try and probably be be, be matched up there but i truly think what they want with nico mikola is just something callie rosen couldn't provide and it's just a presence in front of the net that's what marco scandella is if it was anybody else if it was a nick letty that was unable to play or a justin falk or tory krug i would have expected callie rosen to be in because he moves the puck a little bit more crisply so earlier tanner and i talked about the the decision to go with ville huso in net and the big news today was actually on the wild side and they have decided to go with mark andre fleury for at least game one of this series when we talked to bob Wushu of ESPN he's going to be on the call tonight for ESPN uh, for game one he said he wouldn't be surprised if both of these teams end up using both goalies Mm -hmm. in this series let's start out with Marc-Andre Fleury he's the one thing about this series that concerns me as a Blues fan going into this I'm picking the Blues in six games and it very well may be completely irrational But when I see Marc-Andre Fleury on the other side and knowing what we know about goalies potentially stealing series away from the Blues in the past and your own goalie potentially faltering in these moments, that is my biggest holdup on thinking that the Blues will definitely win this series is but Marc-Andre Fleury's on the other side. That's the one thing that's holding me up right now. I I mean, I get it. And, you know, like Marc-Andre Fleury is always a scary name. I mean, the guy's a reigning Vezina Trophy winner, so it's hard to argue with that. But... the Blues have had success against Marc-Andre yeah. Fleury, and I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, they'll beat up on Marc-Andre Fleury. No, the guys won Stanley Cups for a reason. But you know they've scored 50 even-strength goals against Marc-Andre Fleury in 23 games played against St. Louis? Like, they've they've had success against him, and I don't know strategy-wise, like Jamie Rivers would know much better than me of where they try and direct. Did I say something funny, Tanner? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the scouting report is on him. Like certain goaltenders, you can tell, like they try and go glove high or they try, but I do know Marc-Andre Fleury likes to squirm in net. He likes to be very versatile in terms of going from post to post and diving and making the acrobatic saves. 
The Blues beat that with acrobatic plays. And I don't know if they can do that on defense. I've read a lot of national articles talking about how Minnesota's defense is why the Blues won't be able to win this series. I disagree with that. I think that their playmaking ability is going to create opportunities. So Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't scare me, but if he's locked in, it's not going to be an easy process to go up against. Yeah, I just don't know what to do with those previous teams against Marc-Andre Fleury stats. And this year, like you look at what he had in front of him, I... I'm, I don't know how to take that into account. And then he didn't see the Blues whenever he went over with the Wild. Right. I I understand that if you look at it, you see the Blues have not lost in regulation right against the Wild since Craig Berube took over. Mm-hmm. That's something in the Blues' favor, definitely. The Blues in the past have had a pretty good history against Marc-Andre Fleury. Put that check in the box of the Blues. I just don't know how much that matters for this specific series. The previous wild teams were not this one. They're very different teams. The Blues have not yet gone up to Minnesota to play in their arena this year against this specific team. The one game that they had in Minnesota was the Winter Classic where they were playing outdoors in very different circumstances. So, again, I think the Blues win this series. I like them to win in six. I just think it's really close. And the only holdup that I really have from the Wilds perspective, because I think if you're looking at the the defensive pairings, if you're looking at the top nines, the, the teams are remarkably similar in terms of like if you were just doing a NHL um, video game rating for both teams, mm-hmm. they would basically be the exact same. The one X factor that I just can't get over for this series is the Blues goaltending versus the Wilds goaltending. Yeah. And that's what's going to decide it. That, mm-hmm. That's ultimately what's going to do it. I know that's not some grand take because every series is determined by goaltending, but this one more so than most yeah. others. And Bob was spot on. I, I not only think you're going to see, I, I think you're probably going to see both of these guys in four games. Like I, I, I could see if one side gives up four goals in this game tonight, that that team that gives up that amount says, okay, we're going to go to the other guy just yep. to see what what takes place. And look, Flurry was good last year. He won or he played in 16 games for Vegas and he won nine of them. So it's right to be concerned about it, but I want to see him against the blues with this team before I sit here and say, Oh, he's going to be a problem. He's Alex Ferrario. Happy to have him in. We will do a blues playoff preview show with Alex, myself and Tanner Hendrickson will be in from six to seven 30. We've got the pregame show coming up at seven 30 until puck drop at eight 30. All of that. You're not going to find any better coverage than right here on 101 ESPN from six o'clock all the way to puck drop. And then afterwards as as well coming up in 15 minutes we'll play a game of something or nothing but next ryan ryan carter is the tv color analyst for the minnesota wild he's going to give us the wilds perspective of this series next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Ryan Carter as the TV color analyst for the Minnesota Wild. Want to get the Wild perspective on this series against the Blues. Ryan, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Well, I'm doing fantastic. Hey, it's the best time of year. Playoff hockey. Uh, St. Paul's pretty excited right now, to be honest <laughs> with you. So uh, lots of energy going around. Great day. It's it's awesome. I, I can't wait to see this series. I, I would say there's a, a pretty good case to be made. This is the best one that we're going to get in the first round. From my perspective, Ryan, I look at this as a toss-up. I'm going to be picking the Blues in six games, but I could just as easily see it going the other way around. How do you view this from the Wilds' perspective? Yeah, boy, very similar. Uh, ironically, I have the Wild in six games here. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think home ice actually matters in this scenario. 
the wilds have been fantastic with when they have their what they like to call their identity line together that's the, the ericsson at greenway and felino line they've been coined the grief line around here because boy they give everybody they play against grief i think five on five they've got 430 minutes played together this year they've given up a grand total of five goals against on the flip side i think they, they score they've scored 25 so they're a line that can that can chip in offensively but defensively, they're absolutely stifling. Uh, three big guys that play physical, good sticks, long sticks, and then they get in the offensive zone with the puck, and you, you can't get it back. So you can have other teams' best players sitting in their own zone uh, for the better part of the, the entire shift, if not entire periods and sometimes games. So uh, getting home ice for the Wild, I think, is huge in that regard because they're going to be able to deploy, deploy that line against uh, whomever they want, uh, speculate it's likely going to be against Robert Thomas's line. I feel like that's maybe the most dynamic for St. Louis. So if they can find a way to shut those guys down on home ice, I think it gives them a better shot for sure. Ryan, you kind of answered my question here, but you've played with the Minnesota Wild before. You know why this place is such a difficult place to play. And I've heard from multiple people going into this series, like, man, if the Blues have to open up in Minnesota, it is going to be a tough path. They're the the second best Western Conference home team in the National Hockey League this season. Why has it been so difficult for teams at the XL Energy Center? You're right. Well, first of all, it's it, it is tactically the Wild are such a good match, uh, like match group. Uh, so you've got that that grief line, the Erickson Eck line that you can put out there against the team's best, and then all of a sudden they have, and this is something that they have not had in the past, two legit scoring lines. So you've got the Hartman line with Kaprizov. He had 108 points on the season. Uh, he seems to find a way to put the puck in the net or, or set something up, make a beautiful play. So it's going to be hard to keep him off the board for sure. But then they've got the Fiala line. And really with the resurgence of Matt Boldy, Fiala's got somebody that he can play with and, and count on offensively. And it's just a great one-two punch offensively. So matching up at home, it, Dean Evison always finds a way to get one of the stars, whether it's Kaprizov or Fiala, out there in a matchup that he likes. And you know, between the two of them, and those two lines, they've they really carried the club offensively. So I think tactically, the XL is hard to play in that regard. But all of a sudden, I think Minnesota's got a club that's exciting and can score. And the first time they've ever had a 100-point scorer. And the players are they are engaging. They love one another. And I think they engage with the fans. Where in warm-up now, it's not just, hey, we're getting to the rink, we're grabbing a beer, and we're going to get ready for puck drop. They're five deep at the glass with signs, and players are interacting with them. And uh, the team has had multiple nine, I think it was nine multi-goal comeback wins. So fans are in their seats; they're not missing anything. The club has delivered. So where it's always been a tough place to play because people love hockey here, it's even more so this year. So the energy there is, and they have the tactical advantage. You put those two things together, I think it's a tough, a tough place to come in and win a game. Ryan Carter is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He'll be on the call for the Blue, or for the Wilds TV color side of things uh, here for this first round series, Blues versus the Wild. Uh, Ryan, I did want to ask you, because the Blues have, at least over the last few years, had Minnesota's number since Craig Berube took over. They have also in the past had a pretty good beat on Marc-Andre Fleury. They've had some success against him relative to what he's done against other teams. How much do you think that matters going into this series, the history of the Blues versus the Wild, and then specifically the Blues versus Marc-Andre Fleury? Where I think that matters is for sure tonight, game one. I think if the Blues find a way to steal game one tonight, 
and XMRV Center will be rocking and the wild they're going to come out. They're going to be full of it. So if the Blues can weather the storm and find a way to get a W tonight, I think that will be in the heads of, of guys in the wild locker room. The fact that they were able to beat them on the big stage this year, the Winter Classic, I think everybody tries to sweep that under the rug, but I do think that that matters. You know, that's a marquee game, a focal point, and, and the Blues came in and kind of gave the Wild a shot right in the mouth. Um, I, I think that is still stuck in their memories, and if, if the Blues can somehow solidify the fact that that wasn't an accident, I think that could be a huge advantage for them. Uh, but aside from the Marc-Andre Fleury stuff, I, I don't know that that's going to really factor in. The Wild are a different club, too, and analytically they give up very little in terms of high-danger chances against. Marc-Andre Fleury with Chicago, that was a different story, too, and, and where I think he was he was asked to have to make some, some really big saves and keep the club in it. Now he's really just asked that, to make the saves that he should make, and I think his job's a little bit easier in that regard in Minnesota than it was in Chicago. And, and I know Vegas had a great team last year and, and all the numbers that he put up there, but uh, the Wild have done a great job out in front of him, and uh, if he just goes out and does his thing, I, I don't think that it'll be an issue uh, in terms of any past that this club's all about today and moving forward. Uh, Ryan, you've, you've been around this club, so you've seen the head coaches and the effect that they've had on the Minnesota Wild. Dean Evanson took over 2020, I believe, midway through that season for Bruce Boudreau. What has he done that has been so successful with this Minnesota Wild team? Well, you see, he set a culture, but the other thing he's done is he, he came in and he gave everybody true and legit opportunity to earn ice and guys have earned it. And then they've delivered for him too. So if you, you look across the wild lineup, you've got the number one center, Ryan Hartman, 34 goals, his career high before that, I believe is 21. He's never played in a situation like he does under Dean Evanson. And he goes out and just absolutely battles for him. And you go on and on in that spot, Freddie Gaudreau, uh, right down to the defenseman Middleton. Some of these guys, they just haven't had opportunity um, to, to play in big roles, and he's allowed them to do that. And if they've delivered for him, he's let them play, and he's encouraged them, and he's encouraged them to say, "Hey, Marcus Foligno, you're not just a fourth line shutdown guy that can fight. I, I view you as a player. Go out, make plays. You know, try to score goals. You can do that." And these guys just love playing for him. He set the culture. Uh, at the same time, he's a he's a very honest coach and tells them what they think. And I think because of that, they they respect it. They respect him. But there's no question about it. He's created a culture to where it's the room and, and they love each other in there. But at the same time, they'll go to battle for him. I think it, so far since he's taken over, he's got like a 670 win percentage. It's phenomenal. It's two years straight, too, so it's consistent. And they, they absolutely love playing for him. And, and whatever buttons he pushes, it, it seems to be the right ones. Just another couple of minutes here with Ryan Carter of the Minnesota Wilds TV broadcast. Uh, Ryan, my biggest concern going into this series from the Blues perspective, I've got two, two big questions of how are they going to perform against Marc-Andre Fleury, who has had a history of being amazing in the playoffs. And then two, is Kirill Kaprizov just going to take over in this series? For you on the wild side of things, what do you think are the biggest concerns about the Blues? Like if you were doing the inverse of that for the Blues side, what would it be? Well, I think the, the matchup for me, too, and, and the series might come down to goaltenders. I think there's a similar situation going on in both locker rooms where you've got you've got one guy who has Stanley Cup cred, and Marc-Andre Fleury's got three, Bennington's got his, and then you've got the other guy, Cam Talbot. He's a veteran, and, and he's no spring chicken. Uh, and then you got Huso, and who's going to get the net with the Blues? Is it Huso? You're going to keep the, the veteran uh, on the bench. 
So while they're going to do the opposite, it sounds like it could be Marc-Andre Fleury. So you're going to go with experience and see what happens there. Uh, the, I think the Blues, it, it could be scary if, if they're going with a young guy and he goes on a run and, and what kind of things can happen there. And then on the flip side, is it going to be challenging for the Wild to get anything in front of the goaltender there in terms of second-chance opportunities because the Wild really feed off of that. They, they do have some skill up front, but they're a you know first and foremost a, a pucks-deep kind of club. And if they can't generate offensively in the zone against some of these big guys, you know, Pareko, and I know Falk's been fantastic, Bertuzzo, if they can't get to the inside and get second and third looks, I think there's a chance that they really struggle to score. So they're going to have to find a way to break those guys down and make sure that they're getting more, more opportunities than just their first look. Hey, Ryan, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today to help us preview this series from the Wilds' perspective. All the best to you. We wish your team nothing but horrible luck in this series, <laughs> but hopefully enjoy yourself, man. All right, I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for Thanks, having Ryan. me. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. That's Ryan Carter, TV color analyst for the Minnesota Wild, joining us here on 101 ESPN. The one thing that stands out to me there, and we're going to do this in our playoff preview show, but... Uh, By not, the way, which you can hear tonight from 6 to 7.30 right here on 101 ESPN. Did you tell them who ESPN. the special guests were? Uh, yeah, Alex is going to be a special guest on his own show, and wow. also it will be hosted by Tanner and myself. Tanner's running the board for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I won't be here. <laughs> uh, we, we've talked so much about how similar these two teams are, but what I don't think people are talking enough about is how similar the coaching staff is. I think the Blues have a slight advantage because they've got some experience in terms of Steve Ott and Mike Van Ryan, and now you got Jim Montgomery as the assistant coaches. But Dean Evanson, the way that Ryan just explained Dean Evanson, he could have been talking about Craig Berube. Craig Berube to a T. Yeah. He's instilled confidence. He's told guys to compete, and he rewards them. Like you're going to see two two teams tonight, and for the next seven games, that are fighting for their coaching staff and for their teammates, which is why this one's so intriguing. Man, this I hate this series. I love it. Like it's it's everything you could possibly want in a playoff series. It's it's all bottled into one series. But also, I hate it. I am so anxious. Like, I can already feel my stomach getting tied up into knots going into this one tonight. Are you like Rihanna? Can you Do you hate how much you love this series? I'm assuming that was a Rihanna song. And is that this Rihanna, isn't it? I, I don't know if that's Rihanna or not. It's 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 got to be Riri, right? No. I don't know who Connor Maynard. Oh, no, it's Rihanna. Ever back off. It's Rihanna. We got it. <laughs> Boom! Sorry, go ahead. Uh, what he said there at the very end, moving on from whatever the hell that just was, he mentioned how if the if the Wild aren't able to get to the front of the net, that's going to be a problem for them. Yeah. There's why Mikula's in the lineup. Like you mentioned it earlier, his physicality, his presence right in the front of the net, that's why you want him to be a part of this series. He just gave it to you. Mm-hmm. What what the issue could be, could be for the Wild in this series it's literally going to be Mikola's job to make sure that doesn't happen. But the Blues are going to have to find a way to get to the front of the net also because yep. they couldn't do that against Colorado. And I, I feel like the Blues might have fallen into a little bit of a trap in terms of in terms of trying to be the, the skilled team when they were taking on San Jose and Arizona and Anaheim. The skill was giving them scoring opportunities. Like you got away from a little bit of that, that hard work mindset of we got to go to the front of the net. Colorado didn't allow that and you lost that game. You're going to have to find a way to do that against Marc-Andre Fleury. Can I tell you how much I hate the name, the grief line? The grief line? Well, it's it's Greenway, Erickson, Eck, Felino. 
Yeah, those aren't I as actually, good nicknames as mine. Thomas Sankovich. The Blues are going to beat the hell out of that line because of the series. Thomas Sankovich line. I actually like my name. nicknames better. Nah, no, no, not at all. <laughs> the grief line. Hey, guess what, Minnesota? That's not even how you spell grief. It's G R I E F. I was fully prepared for you to say G R E I F. I was fully prepared. No, man, I before E, except after C. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll you know the rewind. That? Something no. or nothing Cardinals edition is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Ferrario, who's being mean to Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, BK Shocker. and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Hey, I'm a great guy. Let's play I'm a game a of guy. something or nothing. Somebody on the text line said something or nothing Cardinals edition could actually be just the name of the offense this year. Touche, <laughs> sir. Bingo. Tanner, what That's do you have one. for us today? Oh, I didn't realize that I was one doing these. Okay, something or nothing. Adam Wainwright walked five batters on Friday, the most since he had a career high of seven against Chicago in June of 2019. This is something. All right, Alex, Mr. Walk Expert. Mr. I hate Dakota Hudson because he walks guys. Did I tell you I talked to Ollie Marmol on? Uh, yeah, I was standing there right next to you, man. game yesterday? I was standing there right next to you. And tell the people what he said. He said exactly what I said no, on Friday. He said, stop being so critical of him. That's something Jerk. about an engine, too. I didn't Brandon. follow his reference, but. <laughs> Brandon. He did say Brandon. He specifically said. If you look under the hood of his performance, those numbers can't be sustainable. Ooh. That's what it was. Okay. And that is what I said on Friday. So I just want that to you be known. A, you, that is what I said on Friday. You didn't have a good reference like Ollie did, though, to be fair. <laughs> no, that, that is. You called him John it in a Gant. much more eloquent way than I ever could. Uh, as for something or nothing on Wayno and the command issues that he's had. He had two walks against Milwaukee, two against Miami, three against Cincinnati, five against Arizona. The walk numbers are something to watch with him. The command hasn't been there this year the way that it was last year. I'm not worried about him. I want to make that very clear. I am much more concerned about Hudson because this is a longer track record with him than it is with Wayno. It's just something to monitor because if he's not able to command the ball the way that he did last year, that is a little bit concerning, given the fact that he also doesn't have great strikeout stuff. But I'm not worried. It is something to monitor, though, for sure. I, I'd say it's nothing for me because Adam Wainwright seems to be the guy that when when he recognizes something that's off with his pitches, he goes to work on it. And that's the first time, what would you say, T-Bone, since... 2019 of June. There, there's a reason that it hasn't happened since 2019 of June. So I, I would anticipate Adam Wainwright being a lot tighter with the strike zone in his next time out. If if what happens last time happens the next time, then I'd say it's something. But for right now, it's a one-off for me. I'll say it's nothing. Let's stick with the Cardinals pitching something or nothing. <clears throat> Miles Michaelis start to the season. Five starts, 29 and two-thirds innings pitched, 1.52 ERA, only four walks and 25 cool. strikeouts. I'll start this one off. I think this is something. I think we've heard from multiple people, Danny Mack, Katie Wu, even Ollie told us uh, yesterday, he's healthy. And that's the biggest thing right now. And if you... Like 2019, when he wasn't the 2018 version, I was thinking, okay, this is more what Miles Michaelis is. And maybe that to be true. Maybe things take a step down. But everything I'm seeing from him, 
dude is competing. Like he is hammering that strike zone. It reminds me a lot of what Lance Lynn has been doing since he left the Cardinals where he's just throwing strikes. So I think this is something. I think this is the Miles Michaelis. He's also throwing everything. Like he's throwing the kitchen sink at his opponents right now. He's throwing a little bit of just about every pitch that he has ever used in his career. And he's doing it in seemingly any count at any time. He's got 30% slider usage this year, 24% sinker, 21% curveball, 18% four seam, and he's up to 8% now in his changeup, mostly using that against the lefties that he's facing. He's doing any anything in any count at all times, and he's throwing them all, to your point, Alex, for strikes. Everything is there for him right now. Everything. The only thing that he's not doing is getting a bunch of strikeouts, but it doesn't matter when you're throwing it in the zone and nobody can have consistent hard contact against you. His average exit velocity is great on the season. Nobody's hitting anything hard. His walk rate is phenomenal. I think this is real. I think this is absolutely something. And if the, if this continues, T-Bone 3 going to be mad. I mean, I still don't think he's going to get the wins because the team doesn't provide offense when he's pitching like that. (laughs) That is the one thing that's super frustrating to watch. They've wasted two great performances from him already. It is so much like Jack Flaherty when he went on that that pace in 2019 where like he would be doing unreal things, but then the offense wouldn't give him anything. And it's like, well, there you go. Nothing. He's pitching better right now than he did in 2018. Now, he did that for an entire season. So he's got to he's got to continue with this. But. So far, he's been excellent. This is definitely something, and it totally changes what they need to get out of Jack Flaherty early when he returns if Michaelis continues to beat this guy. Well, now let's switch gears to what the texter said, the something or nothing Cardinals offense. Something or nothing, the Cardinals hitting against right-handed pitching. I brought this up to Katie Wu earlier, and if you missed the interview, check it out at 101ESPN.com. Who's it presented by? Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. The Cardinals against right-handed pitching this year, 17th in average, 14th in on-base, 28th in slugging, and 23rd in OPS. Something or nothing? It's something because it's a continuation of what it was last year against righties. This team just mashes left-handed pitching, and they do pretty well, more often than not, against the slow-tossing righties, although yesterday wasn't great against Davies at first. Or Granky today. Yeah. This is something, and I think that it will get hashed out. I said earlier today, Alex, I'm not worried about this offense. I know every metric would would suggest that I should be until I see Carlson and O'Neal starting to hit like we all know that they will. If the offense continues to struggle after that, then I'll be worried. But right now, those guys are hitting under 200. I don't expect that to be the case once we get into early June, so... I'm going to say it's something because it's been an issue for them in the past, but I'm still not worried about them. Yeah, I'm going to say it's something also, but I'm not hitting the panic button. I'd probably put it at like a a four for me right now. Tyler O'Neal, surprisingly, I'm still comfortable with. I'm starting to get a little iffy, but last year we've talked about it. Like prior to that injury that kept him out for a couple of weeks, he was kind of this guy where he was hitting 200 or below and you weren't seeing the power came back from that injury, but it also ties into the, the weather it's warming up a little bit more. And that's where Tyler O'Neill broke out. It's two guys you're looking at. It's Tyler O'Neill and it's Dylan Carlson, like you mentioned. So I'm going to wait until I get into the middle of May before I start to really panic. But I will say this is something right now because if it's not Arenado or Tommy Edmond hitting, you have absolutely zero offense. Yep.
And that's who I want to go to next. Tommy Edmond against right-handed <clears throat> pitching. Something or nothing. When you look at last year, Tommy Edmond hit 261 batting average-wise against right-handed pitching. Only a 665 OPS, though. In the first month of the season, so far, the OPS for Tommy Edmond is just about 900. Second on the team. Is that something or Kisner nothing? just got robbed of a home run. I mean, one of the best... Sorry, I, I, this is going to be something. We'll get to that. One of what the best defensive it? plays that you will see in the first month plus of the season. Watch this, guys. This is Michael A. Taylor going up over the wall and takes one back from Andrew Kisner. Ooh, that sucks. Shame on that fan for not taking the ball from Michael A. Taylor. That's brutal. Like, T-Bone, correct me if I'm wrong because you've been a fan. You got to go after You got to go after You take the hat off and you put it in the way of Michael A. Taylor. Take one for the team. Mm. If and you can't get the ball, aim right. for a glove. Shame, shame on that Back individual. Back to what Tanner asked. 900 OPS for What'd Tommy Edmond against right-handed pitching. What? This is something. <laughs> I wonder if this is his emergence against righties the way that Harrison Bader we saw this from him last year where he really struggled in that area the first couple of years of his career and he made an adjustment and it worked for him and yesterday we saw him at another home run against right-handed pitching I, you could very well be seeing this it's a small sample size he's had 50 at-bats against right-handed pitchers so far this year but this is as good as he's looked against righties in his career the biggest thing to me is just the walks he's taken 10 walks and 53 at-bats against righties that's great it's great that and power <laughs> Yeah, I'm in. I'll call this the BKO because somebody thought that he couldn't hit against righties. And he hadn't boy, shown it. Boy, did he show you. Since Max Scherzer in the wild card game, Tommy Edmond has been lights out on the righties. This is something, though. That's true. He has officially taken over that leadoff spot, and he should never come out of that leadoff spot. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Can Whoa. we clip that? Clip it. May 2nd, 145 p.m. Alex Ferrario says you're not going to see anybody else up in that leadoff no, spot. No, I said should never see anybody up in okay. that leadoff Goldie's, spot. Goldie's going to see a leadoff. No, you're going to be eating some underpants at the end of the season. If he didn't hit there today, we're not going to see it. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Here's the bear got it over him, man. Come on. You're going to be eating some underpants at the end of the season. You mentioned Tom Yedman in the slugging. He's got three home runs. Three guys that you would think would be have more homers than him don't so far. Goldie, Carlson, and an O'Neill have a combined three home runs. Something or nothing? Nothing. Please explain. We just talked about I it. I heard an S sound come out of BK's mouth. I did too. Mouth. I did too. You thought Dylan Carlson was a 25 home hitter, man. He home will be. run hitter. I think he'll be 20. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of wasted the first month of the season. It's going to be tough for him to get to 25, but... Like these, we're, we're bringing this up thinking that like by the end of this season, those three are going to have less home runs than Tommy Edmond. That's nothing. Totally agree with you on that. I do think it is something that he's shown this power outburst so far. I also think it mm. is something that in the first month of the season, guys that we know can hit for power haven't. And I'm not blaming that on them. There's something funny going on with the ball right now. There just is. Get out of here. Some of the baseballs that Baseball we have seen. MLB never do that. Huh? With the launch angles and the exit velocities in previous years, they would have been homers. And this year, whether it be at Bush Stadium or Great American Small Park or wherever the Cardinals are playing, even in Milwaukee and Miami, the ball is just not carrying. I can't explain it. Everybody's trying to figure out why. They've explained it with the humidors. They've talked about how the baseballs are different at the core this year. There's a million different things that could explain it. I don't think any of them on their own would explain why the the guys like Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, 
Paul DeYoung's had a couple that seemingly went to the warning track. Albert Pujols has even had a couple that it's like, okay, that one's going to be gone. and it, it doesn't leave the park. So I think this is something, but I think it's more about the baseball than it is about those players as hitters. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with some of our final thoughts on this Blues versus Wild series going into game number one tonight. BK and Ferrario Rewind is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylo. We'll pass you guys off to the fast lane coming up here in about five minutes or so. But first, we got to hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. And really, there's only one place to go. The Blues are starting the playoffs tonight. Yeah, Blues baby. versus Wild. Game number one, 830 puck drop for this bad boy. We have a playoff preview show Woo! starting at six o'clock. We are doing overtime today, six to seven thirty. Tanner, Alex, myself will be with you for that. And then we will also be with you for the Blues pregame show. Oh, my gosh. Starting at 730, taking you right up to puck drop with Joey and Kerber all right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN and intermission and post game too we'll see man there's gonna be content coming out your butts tonight there's gonna be so much stuff what I'm not really sure that you know what you just said all right content let's get ourselves on the record what are you expecting in this Alex who wins how many games how's it happen I got blues in seven Um, you think they go up to Minnesota in game seven and win mm mm-hmm yeah, Ooh, I do. Baby. Uh, I, I, I like I, the balls that you're showing right now. What the hell? What is going on in this segment? You can't say that stuff, Baseballs. Man. I, I think it's going to look... I, I think you're going to see the Blues steal one in Minnesota. You'll see Minnesota steal one in St. Louis, and then it's going to come down to five, six, and seven. I just... I think these are really evenly matched teams. I, I think in these first two games, it's not going to be as nasty as people might think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a little bit of a feeling out process going into this one. But I also think Minnesota is going to be the team that steps over that line first. And I don't think they grasp the situation of they're going to be the ones that come out to try and piss the blues off. And that might awaken a beast. So I'm looking forward to it. I think game one, game one usually is the tone setter. In my opinion, I go back to that Winnipeg Jets series. That's where the blues really showed Winnipeg. Hey, we're in your head. And I think that could be this one as well against Minnesota. I I like the blues in seven as well. And I think the only win they get on the road is game seven. And I I think the difference maker in this series is going to be their power play unit, because I I truly believe we may leave this series and go blues were solid five on five, but you could give the slight edge to Minnesota. I think you're going to leave the series going. Minnesota went to the box more and the blues made them pay for it. And and that's how I feel about this series. That's why I liked them in game seven. I thought it was interesting. What Ryan Carter said, if the blues win game one on the road, it may kind of, supplement the idea to Minnesota's head of, man, we just cannot get over the hump against this team. And if they do that, if they can win tonight in game one, I actually may take the Blues in six. I've got the Blues in six because of that reason. I think the Blues take <clears throat> game one tonight, and then you've got them in six games in this series. They win it, They close it out at home <laughs> oh, uh, against no. the Wild in six. <laughs> Didn't think that one through. <laughs> 
Well, I, I don't have full confidence in that pick, though. I guess my seven stands. Things. That changes things. <laughs> Couldn't you have just said you got them winning game two? Why can't you call like a Minnesota Wild Damn sweep it, or man. something? I'm on pre and post tonight. This is going to be great. Uh, I'm we're sure gonna keep nobody your, will blame me for this gonna loss. We're going to keep if, your, if your speaking to a minimum. Um, I, here, here's the question, though, that I've got for you, Alex. I think this is going to be a higher scoring series than people expect. Oh, I agree. I think the wins are going to be like 5-3 or 6-4, stuff like that, where you get an empty netter at the end of the game. I think all of them should be relatively close. I think these are two really evenly matched teams. I mm-hmm. really do. I I don't view either of them as clearly better and really just about any area. I think the Blues have a slightly better. They're better on the special teams for sure. I think you could say the Wild have a slightly better defense core. Other than that, though, like you can scramble these teams up and they're mirror images in so many different ways as one another. One thing that I'm going to be really focusing on in this series is how both teams react to when their star players get shut down. When the Blues lose their their Thomas line because of that grief line that BK loves so much. Bleep the grief line. How do the Blues oh, respond? Wow. And when the Blues eliminate the Kaprizov line, how does Minnesota respond? That's going to be the two variables that I have going into this. But I don't want to spoil this prize because that's coming up on the Blues playoff preview. By the way, tonight. you can't stop Robert the Tank Thomas. You I'm can't stop saying. the Thomas Sankovich line. Oh. Say it with me. Thomas Sankovich. Thomas Sankovich. Can I give you one quote before we get out of here to get you excited for tonight's game? Hit me with your best shot, Pat Benatar. This comes from Ryan O'Reilly. There's a feeling (laughs) we all know it's going to be heavy. It's going to be physical out there. The three games we played, these guys throughout the year, it was hard hitting. It was intense. You can expect that, but pretty much on steroids for tonight. As Olivia Newton-John once said, let's get physical, physical. I want to get physical. More of that great insight for you guys coming up from 6 to 7.30. Or excuse me, 6 to 8.30. Come on, man. On the Blues playoff preview (laughs) and the pregame show. show. (laughs) You're not going to want to miss it. We've got that coming up for you. All the Blues talk that you could possibly imagine. We'll be back also tomorrow at 11. The Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Enjoy the game tonight. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.